welcome to another episode of Block Talk, presented by Theatre in the Now. I'm your host, as always, Michael Block. If you love the podcast, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, so you never miss an episode, and leave a five-star review while you're there. You're about to listen to part two of Block Talk's Ultimate Disney Song Showdown, the first of many new theme showdowns we are about to try on the podcast. We are going to discover the best of Disney drag and beyond. Be sure to listen to part one of the series to get the full experience. If you have a theme, category, or fandom you think deserves a showdown, be sure to hit me up. And as always, follow me on Instagram at MichaelBlockTalk, follow us on Twitter, and visit theaterthenow.com for latest news, reviews, and interviews. Let's get down to business to eliminate some songs. We are back for the ultimate Disney song showdown with the Disney animated decade to see what poor unfortunate songs will not be making it to the final 64. And joining me are some zero to heroes, acapella master Andrew Orsi, the mermaid queen of Long Island, Bella Noche, and DC's premier top drag queen, Venus Valhalla. How is everybody? Fabulous. Yes. I'm doing great over here. Yeah, so where where is everybody? Let, let, I'm in Astoria. Um, Same. I'm, as you said, I'm out in Long Island. And I'm down in DC. Nice, we got so. we got some diversity. I will I will I will say that this panel is not as um Disney as the last panel. I was the only one not wearing a Disney um apparel to the podcast. Oh I see. Um So yeah, you're saying we're not good enough. Maybe not. No, knowledge here. I don't gotta show off for nobody. <laughs> there had, it is. We, we had ears. <laughs> we had um, a haunted mansion onesie. Oh, we had we had it all from the last podcast. But I got my my uh, Disney Castle background, so I'm I'm set. Love it. Um, but yeah, how's it? How's everyone been doing in this new normal of a world? Crazy, but uh, yeah. hanging in there. Hanging in there. Been watching lots of Disney movies. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, thank that's real. God, thank God for Disney Plus. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing really down here to do right now. So <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, actually going to be moving in the next couple of days. So it's uh, we finally got approved for our new house. So we're we're no, nice. very, me and my friends. Are, yeah. yeah, my friends and I are very excited that we are very finally. Cool. Fi- it's no longer up in the air. So yeah, that having answers is always a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so let me let's let's tell the listeners a little bit about what this podcast is going to be today we are going to discuss the 90s disney animated films within the disney animation studios canon um from the little mermaid to tarzan uh this list will not include pixar disney Toon studios live action or mixed live action and animation films the reason for this is to keep it simple and to not have an overabundance of options uh, we'll do showdowns for that later on in the year because you know what Gotta have content somehow. Um, so today we will discuss discuss my list of songs and ultimately cut eight to nine initial songs from this list. If my panelists have pitched a song, an additional song will have to be cut. After our three preliminary rounds, we will have a final total of 64 songs to determine the ultimate Disney song. Um, what is the criteria to move on? Um, it could be impact, pop culture, composition, use in movie, awards, etc. Whatever we individually think is what makes a great Disney song. Um, and I want to just throw out there, 
there's only one movie on this list that has no representation, and that is the Rescuers Down Under, movie number 29. Apologies, Rescuers Down Under, you were just a holdover from the bad decade. Mm -hmm. It's underrated for what it is, though. It is. Yeah, it's a better better movie than the original. Correct. (laughs) Who knew a sequel could be better? Especially when it comes to Disney. They are terrible at sequels. Oh, fully. Not all of them, but... (laughs) Oh, God, what? I would say maybe 5% are okay. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah. See, I just... No, I'm just going bold. Big statistics. Let's go. (laughs) Big statistics completely unfounded. Let's go. (laughs) Um... What I'd like to do is I would love to hear what your um, individual relationship to Disney is. Um, As I told everyone uh, on the last podcast that my parents were really big on Disney. They they always had it in the house. We had all the films. My mom would go to the Disney store and get the um, VHS when it would come out and with the the lithograph that would come with it. Um, We went to Disney a lot as a kid. They ultimately got the uh, Disney Vacation Club. So Disney's been a part of my life for very very long time because i'm old um i think uh my parents weren't so much into disney until like i came along um like i grew up with disney was obsessed with disney um but i didn't go to disney world for the first time until i was 22. whoa Uh, yeah like me and my parents they were very much more like we went down to orlando it was like very universal studio sea world it wasn't disney world Mm -hmm. um but like obsessed with Disney, love Disney. And now as an adult, I think I love Disney even more because like one of my favorite things is watching like a movie that you watch when you're younger and you have a completely different like opinion about it now. Cause like, like my, the tried and true one is like when Ariel's like, I'm 16 years old, I'm not a child. It's like, shut the fuck up, you're a child. Like, you know, so, but yeah, loves it. And it influences my drag a lot too. Yes, it does. Uh, growing up being a homosexual, uh, I did too much too much community theater. Uh, and it was like the only thing that my parents like allowed me to do that was like remotely gay. So I, if I have been in too many Disney productions in community theater and I, if there is a Disney villain, I have played it on stage. <laughs> so it is, uh, I was Jafar in Aladdin. I was, uh, we did a horribly horrible uh, production of Mulan where I was uh, Chifu, who was like the emperor's like assistant. Um, And there's so many, so many more. So I have a long, long history of like being in Disney on stage, like seeing the movies like over and over and over again. Um, I'm a huge Alan Menken and Steven Schwartz fan. So that's someone that, uh, so I, anything that they put together, I am a huge fan of. I went to the Steven Schwartz like uh, birthday concert up in New York uh before COVID happened because i love him so much so that's my relationship i've never been to disney world though never been to disney oh wow. um i yeah i grew up i'm from a musical family like my i do acapella now and my parents literally met in barbershop acapella groups so that's like why i exist um kind of <laughs> uh so music is like a big part of my life and my first disney experience was i went to see aladdin when it came out in theaters I was a very, very tiny child, and the Cave of Wonders came out of the ground, and I screamed and had to be taken out of the theater. So that was like my start with Disney, but then I watched every movie growing up. I loved it. Um, I went to Disney World a couple times while I was a kid, uh, but haven't been back since, unfortunately. 
Um, and then my first foray into like the world of theater was similarly to Venus was a community theater production of Beauty and the Beast I auditioned for. Um, and that was like my first experience getting me into theater and all of that. And I have since then like arranged Disney songs for people since I do music now. I was a part of like a Disney acapella love medley that someone used to propose to their girlfriend. Like I've just done a lot of stuff with Disney music throughout my life. It's good music. Well, we are, I think we're ready to start discussing the songs of the, as everyone calls it, the renaissance of the Disney animation um, film series. Um, again, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about it. I'll give you some facts, some, um, some statistics, some things about the songs. And we'll talk about whatever we want to talk about. Um, and if we feel the song should move on, definitely we'll move it on. If we feel like there are some other ones that, we, that later on need to move on over that, We'll figure it out, but do y'all ready? Yes. Yeah. All right. We are going to start off in 1989. I know it's not the 90s, but this is what I called it. Um, we are starting with The Little Mermaid, and our first entry is Part of Your World. Lyrics by. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we went there. Wow. Okay. So, lyrics by Howard Ashman and music by Alan Menken. Performed by Jody Benson as Ariel as she expresses her desire to be human. The song has been covered by a million artists, um, including Jessica Simpson, Miley Cyrus, Sky Sweetnam, Ashley Tisdale, Carly Rae Jepsen. And if you didn't know, there is an instrumental of the song featured in Enchanted and is used as underscoring in a scene where Jody Benson plays Robert's secretary. All right, who wants to start off with part of your world? I think, Bella, um, you clearly have some feelings on this song. Well, I mean, it's just, it's like the quintessential, like, I want song, you know? Yeah. It's like what starts off every Disney adventure, someone wanting something that they don't have. And it's it's just, you know, and because it's, you know, Little Mermaid, obviously I have a special place in my heart for that. But it's it just shows, like, because she's not, it's not like, because this isn't the point where she wants love, right? Now she just, like, wants knowledge. She wants to know more. She wants to experience. And I think that's really kind of cool for especially, like, a Disney princess in like 89, 90, where all the princes before just wanted to fall in love. And she's right. like, before she even, who's, even she meets Eric, she just wants to go up there to like learn about stuff. So like, not only is it a beautiful song, um, she just wants knowledge. It's not a love song. It's like, uh, hey, I want to be smarter than I am right now. Yeah. Who else has um, thoughts on I'll, this one? I have a controversial take now. <laughs> Oh, no. I'm not, I'm not trying. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm not trying to cut this right now. It is too iconic, has too much of a cultural impact. Literally everybody and their mother knows this song. So there's no way it can't go into the 64. However, I rewatched the entire Renaissance in the past three days in preparation to like be really fresh for this. And because I have nothing else to do in quarantine. Um, and this song underwhelmed me. Like Jody Benson doesn't even fucking belt. <laughs> she, well, she mixes and it doesn't mm, it's a mix well, belt it's not a chest okay, belt. it's not a, as strong as i think i've always thought of it and the orchestration didn't swell the way i wanted it to so i'm underwhelmed but it should move on so the reason she doesn't belt in this is actually it's an alan Menken was the one who instructed her not to do that because she can belt the song she's done it before sure check out the but, price of it but they they literally in the studio turned off all of the lights and put one little spotlight on her like she was in the 
in the cavern and they said you are in your you're in your little like grotto you have to like you're not going to blow the walls off of, of this grotto because there's still more there's more for you to um there's more for you to learn there's more for you there's more for places for you to grow and it's like it's it was supposed to be a very intimate like setting that's like a st that whole where she's not belting and it's all of a mix it's like a stylistic choice specifically by the by the writers of the song sure and i get that and i appreciate all that i just like think that a big portion of the population remembers this song as a belt at the end and i was just surprised that it did not get nearly as big as i thought it was going to get like well, that's the, because the actual dynamic the right but the actual <laughs> dynamic journey of the song itself i was like oh hmm, okay like it's still a good song yeah and I mean, i'm not saying we should cut it like i'm not trying to be that yeah, no, I, I, think, <laughs> I think this is that we're we're, we're all going to push it forward but again like when it gets down to the for this podcast we have to like split hairs with some mm -hmm. songs and be like what is going to push it forward um but i mean we have to point out that um the song has eerily similarities to um somewhere that's green um if anyone has seen suddenly seymour perform her medley mm -hmm. of this and uh somewhere that's green it's it's the same song it's literally they wrote the same mm -hmm. song um with different lyrics but you know what if it works it works well this song was almost almost this song was also almost cut from yeah, the movie uh -huh. it almost didn't make it into the movie mm -hmm. yeah but it is it is an iconic song and i think we pro i think we're in agreement we're gonna move it forward Okay, yeah, yeah, we'll move yeah. that one forward. All right, staying with The Little Mermaid for a little bit, we have Under the Sea, again, uh, music by Alan Menken, lyrics by Howard Ashman, performed by Samuel E. Wright as Sebastian, as he implores Ariel to re remain seabound and resist her urge to be human. Um, the song is inspired by The Beautiful Briny Sea, written by the Sherman Brothers for Bedknobs and Broom 6. Uh, the song won the Academy Award for Best Original Song and has been covered on Disney Mania, because we're going to talk about Disney Mania a lot, um, by 18s Raven Simone, Boo Boo Stewart, and Kate Ryan, who I have no idea who she is. Under the Sea. I mean, it's oh, got an award. Forward. Oh, yeah. absolutely forward. It's not a question. Yeah, moving forward. <laughs> yeah. This but, is the, this is, it's either this or Part of Your World is the first song you think of when you think of The Little Mermaid. So like, yeah, goodbye. I mean, so, but let's talk about it a little bit. I mean, what is it that we all love about Under the Sea? Is it because it was a different sound for a Disney movie? Is it, is it the fun uh, animation that goes along with it? What, what do we, what is it that we love about the song? I think it's I think it's kind of all the above. I remember I remember um, watching Little Mermaid when I was younger, and this was the song that like really got me like into like sea life. You know, like just the animation of like literally using every single sea character that they can, um, and then having like a completely different and unique sound for you know Disney as a whole. But then it also is just like oh well, duh, like it has that very very tried and true like nautical um sound to it it's just it's brilliantly written brilliantly performed brilliantly executed and that's why it won the award the academy award yeah yeah the the thing with the little mermaid songs is like as i went through them all the sebastian songs are just thrilling because they use the fact that he's like the conductor of an orchestra and they use the whole damn orchestra so mm -hmm. interestingly like there are just so many little instrumental lines that filter in and layer on top of each other. And like, it's a thrilling song because your ear can hear so many things happening at once. Right. 
and your eyes can see so many things happening at once if you're watching it. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with all of that. Um, like the whole sequence where he's talking about all the different types of uh, all the types types of animals and the instruments that they're playing, the the breakdowns, the the dance break, the like it it's perfect. Yeah, it's a, it's a good song. Um, moving it forward. Mm -hmm. Moving yeah. it forward. Mm -hmm. All right, Little Mermaid, nineteen eighty nine. It's Poor Unfortunate Souls, written by Alan Mink and Howard Ashman. Performed by Kat, Pat Carroll as Ursula as she seduces Ariel for her voice. The song has been covered by the Jonas Brothers, as well as China Ann McLean for the Disney Channel original movie, Descendants 2. Um, I forgot about the Jonas, the Jonas Brothers, Brothers? I vaguely yeah. remember <laughs> that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it used to play on the Disney Channel. Right, was I was like, 20th I need to anniversary or something? Yeah, it's bad. It's really, really bad yeah. because Ooh. it's like when the Jonas Brothers were still like, you know, a little younger, so their voices were, mm. um, yeah, they did that. Exactly yeah. Um, I think this is one of the greatest villain songs ever. Wholeheartedly agree. Oh, Andrew doesn't agree. Her other song is better. The one that was cut from the movie that's in the musical. It, it's, Oh, I mean, we're, that's a whole different discussion. I agree. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, yes, but that can factor into our opinion of it. It can okay, say, okay, like, okay. this could have been done. I Want the Good Times Back is one of the best moments in uh, The Little Mermaid, the musical, period. Mm -hmm. A lot of the cut songs and or, or the songs that are made for that musical are better than the actual movie. Um, I mean, come on, Scuttle gets two songs. <laughs> Yeah, I think that, and, and then on top of that, uh, the world above. I think well, even shines. Okay. Yeah, I think that outshines part of your world. But maybe that's just Sierra Boggess being better than Jody Benson. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, um, I, I I think this song is a classic. Um, obviously, in the world of drag, Ursula ha plays a big, big part. Um, of our world because um, Ursula was designed um, off of Divine. Mm -hmm. um, and you, the, like as a child, I actually was terrified of Ursula. Like my mom would tell me stories that I would not watch certain things or go and uh, at the park, like would stay away from anything Ursula. Ursula was scary and this song was, it's very menacing in the movie. So what I'm going to say, and, and this is probably because I've put too much work into this list already and have sat down and, and chosen the eight that I would eliminate and give myself other options. But there are five villain songs on this list just from the 90s. There's one for me that is clearly out. And I kind of need another, like I don't need four villain songs from the 90s because I don't think they're gonna win the whole thing where they're quite as iconic as other stuff or musically good as other stuff. And for they me- won't They won't win because it's a villain song? Is no, villain I don't, I think song. a villain song can absolutely win, cool. but these particular ones are not at the level to win. And I'm, I'm, I've waffled back and forth for my second choice of a villain song to cut between Poor Unfortunate Souls and Be Prepared, honestly. Oh, no, I, I disagree. I would go with the latter. I think you would I, cut. Be prepared over this one, absolutely. I think if there are two villain songs that are on this list that have a chance to win the whole thing, it's one of those two. I think "Poor Unfortunate Souls" and "Be Prepared" are the two most iconic gay songs that anyone listens to I from Disney. I kind of have That's to the... agree with that. Okay. Interesting. 
Um, I, I, I'm, I'm just gonna say that musically, neither of those songs do anything close to either Gaston or Hellfire. Nothing close. Oh, nowhere no. near. Okay, I'll agree with you when it comes to to score, but if you want to talk about like actual right. impact, uh, I think that people have more impact from Be Prepared and Poor Unfortunate Souls than either of those. I think Hellfire is a great song musically, but I don't, and we can talk about that when we get there, but I don't think that any, I mean, I don't think anyone's going to remember that. I don't think anyone's going to remember Hunchback of Notre Dame, period. I feel attacked. The... I feel like extremely attacked already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I knew yeah. this was going to happen and I feel extremely attacked. Hunchback <laughs> is my favorite Disney movie, hands down. Take it up with the paper mill. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, yeah, it, it's, it, it's, we're, this is why this, I'm excited for this podcast because we're going to have fun Debates. It's just interesting because we're coming from places of I think you guys are weighing cultural impact more and I'm weighing mm -hmm. music more because this is a song showdown. Well, I think, sure. I think mm -hmm. not so much cultural impact of just like when you're watching the movie, what it does for the movie, you know, like, for instance, like Gaston, like even even though, yes, there's music. I mean, if we want to talk cutting Gaston, I'll let it go. <laughs> Honestly, I think I would. Um, we'll get there, but, we'll get there, we'll get there. Yeah, yeah, but I feel like Poor Unfortunate Souls is that it's it's the part where the entire movie changes and like has not, a, it ha literally has like the beginning part, has a talking part, then has a reprise all in like one scene. I just think it's like really, really epic. I mean, I'm not, like I said, this is one that I was waffling on because I'm not completely just willing to let it go. So it's not that I'm not acknowledging some of the power of it. Um, I think it's more, this is an intimidating list. <laughs> so is, this is, is just one of the ones that I have to be like, I have, a, I have a mark on that one as a possibility. That's all. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about the list that saved Disney. Like yeah. Disney was completely right. like right. bankrupt, like about to go under. And then, you know, Little Mermaid comes out and puts them back on the map. So it's going to be a hard, this one specifically is going to be yeah. hard. And, and what I would recommend is don't necessarily put every, all the songs into categories. So don't talk, let's not necessarily discuss it as villain songs. We can have two villain songs moving forward. It's think, too late. I already categorized. Well, I, I know you did. But, um, but I think, again, we want to try to look at them as, as, in that uh, lens, but also as an individual lens, because this, this song itself is, is, is pretty iconic. Like, Again, if you want to talk about um, cultural impact, it ha it's there. Um, but also, again, how it impacts the movie as a whole, it, it, it's, it's an integral part of the movie. You can't have this story without this song. I agree. I would agree with that, too. Um, so how, how are we feeling? Do we want to put it in the chopping block or move it forward? What are we, what are we thinking? Moving it forward. If you guys all three want to outvote me, you can move it forward. I would like it to just be up for a, a round of discussion well, later it, when we have yeah, our yeah. when we have yeah. our list narrowed down. Yeah. When we and, that, some that's, and that's why I urge everyone to have notes somewhere. So when we do, if we have to go through one or two songs, make sure this is like your. I want to cut this one. I'm okay so with right putting now, it on the chopping block, um, so that we can discuss it later. Cool. Because we'll have more than eight songs on the chopping block. Oh, definitely. Is, so. You never know. You never know, because we had some. We had a little bit of a surprise for the last one, where we really didn't have that many um, debates until the very end. For hmm. two. I All don't right. think that'll happen in this list, but that's know, me. <laughs> for our final entry from The Little Mermaid, um, it is "Kiss the Girl," uh, written by ha Alan Menken, Howard Ashman. 
uh, performed by Sam Lee Wright as Sebastian. Um, as Ariel and Prince Eric share a rowboat in a lagoon, it is nominated for an Academy Award, but lost to Under the Sea. It's been covered by the likes of Ashley Tisdale and Colby Calais and featured in a love scene on Family Matters. Um, now, I'm going to say my controversial part right now. If we're going to cut one song from Little Mermaid, this is the one I would cut. Oh. Oh. Mm. I would have said that having not watched it, but that's because I don't, like, Little Mermaid is not one of my favorites, and I yeah. have not watched it as many times as others. But a fresh set of ears on this song is like, oh, no, this is another one where, like, the orchestra is sweeping. The use mm. of the orchestra is brilliant in this song. Interesting, because like I, I, because when again when I went through them, I was like every if I if I need to cut one song from every movie, this there this would be of the four be the one that I would cut, because um, I don't I don't know like do we want to push an entire movie forward? Is that something that is a possibility? I think if it's the right movie, we don't need to like yeah. classify it like that. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because if we're just doing songs, the song. Sure. Right. Song. I think the song is so specifically special because of because while Under the Sea is a most mostly musical, um, mostly a musical number where animals are playing different instruments, this one the animals actually get to sing and it's really well done the way that they can actually characterize that like different animals have different voices and it, it like it's super believable the way that some some of the animals sound, especially when Scuttle comes on and yeah. there's like all the background like <laughs> vocals in it. Oh yeah, it, it's so, so beautifully and perfectly done. Right, and like visually, there's just so many little things that you can catch. Like one of my favorite things, I remember, I think when I was younger, I think it was the second the time I noticed it, at the end when the fish are swirling around, they're doing the fountain around, like one of the fish is actually flounder. And so it's just, it's, I just love like the little like attention to details that like this scene has. It's just, uh, yeah. Although I, to be fair, like, let's be fair. Like Disney animation is on another level where most of these songs, I can, I can envision the scene perfectly right now. In oh, my head. I know the scene with most of these songs and the ones that aren't are probably the ones I'm trying to cut. So here we are. <laughs> <laughs> but I know like you can see literally them going under the like willow tree and the, the mm-hmm. leaves being parted like, oh gosh now i will say for um disney impact like this song in this moment clearly impacted future movies like tangled um with um i see the light which i think is a severely lesser song um but knowing that list that's going to end up moving forward so like would how would you feel about kiss the girl not making it and um i see the light do not actually making it so it's a it's an interesting debate um but yeah, Kiss the Girl for me was never someone that I was, that I would listen to. I would always skip past it. I just also like at the end, there's just like so much tension. You like want it, want it, want it. And then the boat flips and it's just, it's like, it's just a really good storytelling song. It really like, kind of like how you can't have like that, you know, the story can't move on without poor unfortunate souls. I feel like Kiss the Girl has that in a slightly lesser thing because they've already done mm-hmm. like, and stuff like that but that song is about like the kiss that's going to like get her to stay on land so there's also like this heightened tension there too um yeah. and for me for me as a writer um i look at a lot of songs especially with musicals and disney it's like what the song does for the movie could the mm-hmm. movie exist just fine if that song was pulled and that's kind of how i'm gonna how i'm looking at a lot of these songs with, like their importance on this list and if they, if they could be talking and and what's interesting as well is I mean however it um, impacts your decisions this one was nominated for an Academy Award part of your world was not 
So what, what does that mean in the, in the sense of the impact of a song? Because listen, spoiler alert, we, I left off an Academy Award nominated song um, in the classics and it was a huge debate that we had to invite love from Robin Hood back in. Um, so the Academy Awards do have some weight in this debate. Oh, absolutely. Um, it does and it doesn't for me. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think awards shows always completely get everything right. So like, I will wait my own opinion and my own ears on the music mm -hmm. and my own interpretation of how relevant they are to the story over sure. what the Academy thinks. Cause I think some of the uh, Academy Award winning songs are a little sappy for my taste, but sure. that's me. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just saying like, this is the this is a song where I'm clearly coming in as a like very focused on musical ear over anything else. I'm looking at them as songs and individual pieces of music. And this is one that I came in like you, Mike, thinking this is probably the one I would cut from The Little Mermaid. And I came out saying no. So, so out of curiosity, what would you cut from The Little Mermaid if you had to cut one? If I had to cut one and it was just my list. Mm -hmm. I think you already said what it would be. I think it would be Poor Unfortunate Souls. I, I wanted to say it would be part of your world, but I don't think I could do that. There's no villain song. Yeah. That's well, fine. I, I we don't need the whole movie on the list. How dare you? You will not blaspheme in here. Not on this good Christian day. Look, this is just, this is just predetermined revenge because I'm I know some people are going to come for Hunchback and I'm ready to fight. Oh, we will. Um, all right, so how are we feeling? Are we moving it forward? Yes. Chop and block, what are we doing? I think we can move it forward. All right, let's do it. Let's, let's put it there. All right, we're moving on to film number two because we got a lot to talk about. It is Beauty and the Beast from 1991. The first song we're discussing is Belle, uh, written by Alan Menken and Howard Ashman, sung by Paige O'Hara as Belle, Richard White as Gaston, an assortment of townspeople performed operetta style that introduces the heroine Belle in her poor provincial town. Um, it was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Original Song, but lost to the titular song. It is performed by Emma Watson and Luke Evans in the live-action remake. Belle. How are we feeling about Belle? I don't want to talk about the live-action remake. Right. <laughs> That's not our category, Michael. <laughs> I'm just giving out the facts. I'm sharing, reminding everybody where the impact of this movie. I mean, this for me, this song should move forward. Agreed. I think so, too. Just, Straight up. It just It's a brilliant up. introduction song. It introduces Belle's character as well as, like, sets a setting really well. Um, yeah, and then there's just a lot of counter melodies weaving in and out. So it's a really, really smart ensemble piece. Yeah. The only thing that disappoints me is the lady gives such good energy on I Need Six Eggs and the guy after just sings That's Too Expensive. Like, give something more. <laughs> well, watch Cacophony oh. Daniels. Watch Cacophony uh, Daniels. She'll, well. she'll do the solo version of the song. It's quite <laughs> incredible. Yeah, I, I love this song. I think it's I think it's one of the better songs of the movie, honestly. I think that it sets such a high tone for the entire movie as well. Um, and also it had a huge um, like cultural like recoming when everyone was doing like versions of this song. I think Todrick Hall did like nine different versions of this song that Definitely. all went viral. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, love it, love it, love it, love it. All right, let's move forward. Um, another name song, we're going to Gaston, uh, written by Alan Macon and Howard Ashman, performed by Jesse Cordy as LeFou and Richard White as Gaston. As LeFou tries to cheer up Gaston and talking about the live action movie, it is performed by Josh Gad and Luke Evans. Um, I Again, there's something fun 
about this song as a villain song this is like it's happy it's it's upbeat and you're like this is this maybe i like that song maybe he's actually a cool guy All right, no one loves the song as much as I do. Okay. No, I had this as I had this pegged as a mostly move forward. Like it has a check mark where it doesn't do a lot for me, but I was thinking it had enough, I don't know, like memorability to push it forward, but I guess I don't know. I mean, this score just has a bunch of good songs in it, and I yeah. don't think that this is by any means the best song from Beauty and the Beast. So Which, then there's the question in my mind of like if it came down to it, is this it is gonna beat cut. any of the four, any of the three others in a final? No, for right. me, no. That's the yeah. short answer. And like for me, like again, looking at like what a, a song does for the movie, like if you just shot Gaston the bar partying with ever and have, you know, Maurice star, storm in and say that, like the song didn't absolutely like the movie didn't need that to progress the story. Of course, True. You're, you're focusing on the villain. It's fine. It adds it adds a different uh, type of feel to the movie. It's there for but comic you, relief, right? But if you took it out, the story would be exactly the same. Yeah, I, you already know Gaston, right? It's not. It's not do. It's not exploring anything. It's not, you know, like the only the only part that of Gaston that's like kind of relevant is when at the end when he's like singing and plotting about how he's gonna like get Bell like get Bell's father like crazy, but that could have been a conversation. It didn't have to be a song. Okay. Yeah. I personally like this song a lot. Um, I love the way that the duet between LeFou and Gaston works out, especially with the writing of the music. Um, I'm okay with putting this on the chopping block, but I don't think it's the song that should be chopped from this movie. Um, oh. Well, well, interestingly, if we're, if we're going like going through my list, like if there's one movie that I would move forward all the songs, this would be the movie. That's kind of same for me. <laughs> yeah. And it's not even my favorite of, of the movie. That's so, so funny that you say that because there's one movie that I would not move any of the songs <laughs> forward on. Well, well, I'm excited to get there. I have a feeling I know which one. But um, yeah, all right. So do we want to put Gaston into the chopping block right now? I would put it on the chopping block. Yeah, if, for yeah, further discussion, I'm fine with that. Yeah, we cool. can do that. We are moving on to Be Our Guest, written by Alan Macon and Howard Ashman, performed by Jerry Orbach as Lumiere. Angela Lansbury as Mrs. Potts in the ensemble as they invite Belle to pull up a chair and serve her a song and dance dinner. Uh, the song was originally intended to be sung, by, uh, sung to Maurice. Um, they changed that quickly. Uh, the song shares the same tune with the song Le Poisson from The Little Mermaid. Um, it is featured in the movie The Descendants. The song has been parodied many times on The Simpsons and South Park, Bigger, Longer, Uncut, and was nominated for Best Original Song at the Oscars, but again, lost to the titular song. I love Be Our Guest. It's so good. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty iconic. <laughs> yeah, again, it's like one of those, it's like when you think about Beauty and the Beast, you think of Beauty and the Beast and Be Our Guest. Like those are like the songs that you're like, oh yeah, that's Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, yeah, and if if you're gonna ever do like a compilation Disney something, this is something that's usually gonna open up the 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 montage mm -hmm. of yes. clips. The fanfare, the the build up. It's yeah, it's great. This is also um, there's an animation style that Disney uses. Um, it's called deep canvas, which is where they use two D um, 
like 2D drawings in order to make 3D backgrounds. Yeah. Um, and Be Our Guest is one of those moments. Um, and usually they save those moments for like the largest part of the movie. So the other the other song that they use Deep Canvas for is Beauty and the Beast. And then also when they're invading the castle. Um, so I think that that also brings part of um, the importance of the song into discussion is that they were, because it's a very expensive animation form that they, they knew that this was going to be the one that like made the movie. And I think that that's true is that like this and Belle are probably the most uh, like easily recognizable, like gets everyone going whenever, whenever you're talking about the movie. So I think this one definitely needs to move forward. Yeah, I mean, I I remember as a kid going to see the musical, and this was the m- moment in the show that I remember most, like looking at the uh, Palace Theater, looking through the bars, and just seeing this, these people dances cutlery, and I was like, this is just something special. There's something special about this song. And again, you have some legends of acting performing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is my highest scored song from Beauty and the Beast on my number system so i can't wait to see this uh list at the end of this so we're moving it forward we're feeling it yeah yeah moving forward all right we're ending beauty and the beast with the titular song beauty and the beast written by alan Menken and howard ashman performed by angela lansbury's mrs potts while bell and the beast dance in the iconic ballroom scene it was initially intended as a rock ballad but angela lansbury said i can't sing that <laughs> Um, the song Bless won. Bless her heart. I know, right? <laughs> the song won the Academy Award for Best Original Song. It ranks number 62 on the AFI 100 Years 100 Songs. It is the first song to be recorded by pop stars for a Disney album for an original movie. It was sung by Peebo Bryson and Celine Dion. Um, in the remake, the song was sung by Emma Thompson, and for the end credits version, it was covered oddly by Ariana Grande and John Legend. I hate that. It was the worst. <laughs> I was like, why are these two singing this yeah, song? Yeah, that, that's an odd combination, but whatever. But again, so cut was it. People Bryson and uh, Celine Dion. Okay, Venus just said cut it. So mm-hmm. I hear you, Venus, because I am generally underwhelmed by this. And like I said, some of the sappy love songs don't actually do a lot for me. And this is a sappy song if I've ever heard one. But I, there's no it's too it. relevant to the world for me to cut it. I know. And see, and Michael knows how much I love Celine Dion. I am a huge Celine Dion fan. Not even the Celine, like, it maybe if it were the Celine Dion version, I would keep it, but it really just does. It was not good for, I, it did not move me as much as it should have when they were dancing. Like, it was, there was, I just Venus felt like has it could have no been so heart. much better. <laughs> well, no, and I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I think that visually, the song, when it's being done in the ballroom with them dancing. I think visually beautiful. I love that Angela Lansbury did that whole movie in one take. And so I, I that song gets a lot of points. So she went in, she sang it, she's like, okay, I'm done. It's like, I'm good, uh, thanks guys. Right, bye, one <laughs> day and I'm done. Um, so that definitely gets at points, but I echo what Venus is saying because like, again, at the same time, when they're dancing, you're focused. You're not focused on the song. The song is very background. The song. It's like they're. Da- it's like a couple dancing to like a jukebox. You know. You're not focused on the song. You're focused on them dancing and like whatever the song is saying. Sure, it's important, but that's not the focus. The focus is not the lyrics. The focus is not 
music, our focus is just they're the just best part of the song is Chip at the end. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> Wow, listen. I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm in a situation where like, I understand and agree with a lot of what you're saying. I just don't know how the Disney top 64 yeah. list has any credibility if this song is not on it. Even if it's cut in the first round because of our opinions whenever we get mm -hmm. there or whatever. I'm not saying to cut it. I just don't think that it's, if we're looking at what's gonna be the best, that's not it for me. No. Yeah, no, I think it's, I mean, will it win? I don't think so. Um, I will say there are there are songs in this category that I would definitely cut before this one, but this yeah, is I don't. I think this I'm one like, ooh, I, fighting for it, you know. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I didn't think this was something I'd have to fight for, but I, I would move this forward immediately. Um, yeah, I would move. Will, this will it lose in the first round of the sixty-four? Possibly, oh, depending on what it <laughs> depends um, on what it's against. Yeah. yeah, right, really, um, it really does. But no, I think cutting this song would be out of control and the listeners would probably attack you all <laughs> yeah i think i think our status as disney experts would suddenly be questioned <laughs> yeah people would destroy you for i mean okay okay so I what, what, what are we thinking keeping okay let's, if, let's, if we want to put it on the chopping block we can keep it to talk about because i mean I, I, if you I guys want to see what our list of the chopping block is and then like see oh there's eight others we can't well, cut again, and this should I'm go thinking, on i'm thinking ahead of that that's not on my list of one of the songs that i would cut it's yeah. not on the top of like ooh best but i don't think i've got yeah. 12 or 13 that would go before this so right, so then let's i think we're we're safe to move it forward if we need okay. to come back to it and put it on your notes but <laughs> do you I feel think... okay about that venus <laughs> <laughs> venus okay. has have, no have... heart I have strong opinions on this next one too. Okay, I mean, so do I. Uh, we are moving to our next film. It is Aladdin from 1992. It is starting off with One Jump Ahead, music by Alan Menken, lyrics by Tim Rice, sung by Brad Kane, the singing voice for Scott Wenger um, after Aladdin steals a loaf of bread and he and his monkey Abu cause havoc in the square as he tries to escape from the guards. The song has drawn comparisons to Belle from Beauty and the Beast and Jean Valjean from Les Mis as he too steals a loaf of bread and is hunted by the law. Um, again, if we're going to cut one song from Aladdin, this is the first one to cut immediately for me. Um, I agree. Cute, cute moment. Um, just there's, there are songs in this movie that are so far superior. Right. Again, it's fun. It's a nice way to start off the movie and kick off and show that, you know, Aladdin's not a bad guy because he's a thief. So we get that. But yeah, no. <laughs> I disagree. This isn't the one that I would cut from Aladdin, but I'm not so in love with it that I would fight for it. It's okay. it's a bell copy that doesn't do the same thing that Bell does. That's I don't think it's a bell copy that much personally. I, I find I it to be very different. Were, I think that they were going for something along the lines of Bell with like him, like the main character interacting with like the entire town and and setting up what like the main problem is. Yeah between sure. them and like their environment. So yeah, I do think that there's a comparison there. I see that. Now. Yeah, like thematically, I think they are, it's it's trying to serve the same purpose in the Correct. story. I understand I that. Yeah. Um, I do think that this like, I don't know. I mean, I just, I like how it, it builds really, really well. So it gets the movie off to a really exciting, thrilling start for me personally. Um, and And gets you into because Aladdin to me is a little bit faster paced than Little Mermaid or Beauty and the Beast, just in mm -hmm. terms of things flying at you and the sort of like comedy that we're going to be playing with in this, especially once Robin Williams shows up. So like, this is a good set the tone for that sort of intro for me. That I would agree with. That I would agree with. That this is like, no, this is going to be fast action movie. There's shit going to be happening and pay attention. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, I would put it on the chopping block at this point. Chopping block. Chopping yeah. block. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Well, we are now moving forward to something that, I, again, I think this could be a contender for a win. Friend Like Me, written by Alan Menken and Howard Ashman, sung by the brilliant Robin Williams as the genie as he shows off his powers to Aladdin. It is performed by Will Smith in the live-action remake. The song was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Original Song, and it would mark the last nomination for the late Howard Ashman. The song has also been covered by Neo for the We Love Disney album. Um... I this is all Robin Williams like in his glory this is this the, the whole sequence was stunning it's yeah I think song. it I think it is very easily moved forward I don't even know what else to talk about right, right. it's yeah it's just perfection not only is it well written visually it's amazing it moves the story along and then it's fucking Robin Williams so yeah, I have I have like maybe a slightly less completely glowing opinion of it, but it's an absolute move forward and it's a great song. So yeah, I'm well, not going to get it, into that discussion. No, right I want to hear it. I want to hear it. What 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 don't you, what is your not glowing? Um, again, you you watched the movie a lot more recently than we have. I did. I watched it. Yes, two days, three days ago. Some two. I don't know which day I watched it. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's a fantastic animation sequence. It's perfect for setting up the genie character. Of the two genie songs, this is the superior one, and they're both yes. excellent songs. Um, it, I think for me, the orchestra, it starts off so hard <laughs> that it doesn't build much. And I love a good fucking build. Like, that's just my life. I want a song to build, and like I want to feel my heart swelling by the end of it. Not necessarily in the same way with every type of song, but... It doesn't, it doesn't have a lot of places to go, which is just the nature of this song. Um, and the orchestration is like very good. It's nothing super exceptional. That's, those are my only like critiques of the song. Fair. It's great. It yeah, should move on. <laughs> Sweet, well, let's move on to the next Genie song. Uh, we have Prince Ali, music by Alan Menken, lyrics by Howard Ashman. It is sung by Robin Williams as the Genie, as um, he introduces, Aladdin's royal alter ego, Prince Ali Ababwa, up to Agrabah. In the live-action remake, it is, again, strangely performed by Will Smith. Um, I would agree. It's of the two uh, genie songs. This is the lesser of the two, but it's still another um, sensationalized, brilliant animation moment. Um, and again, I th actually enjoyed the live-action remake, and... This, in the in the live action, this sequence was really, 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 really cool. I agree. The sequence is really cool. Um, specifically with Robin Williams, though, like him being able to, you know, because the genie is going through the crowd, like, as different characters, and he has to put on different voices, like, telling everyone, oh, he, like, Prince Ali is all this, all this great stuff. Um, I think that that's really cool, the way that he gets to portray that, which I don't think that that's in Friend Like Me as much. Um, and I think that really shows off all of Robin Williams's voices and his and his talent. And right. I think I don't know if we're like saying, oh, we don't want to put forth two genie songs, but I think because of all the voices and the way that it's performed, that that would that that pushes Prince Ali into being in the final cut, if that makes sense. I yeah, I only categorized it as like if we're in a situation where 
we're mincing words and I have to maybe argue for cutting a genie song, this is the one I would cut, but I'm not arguing yeah. for yeah. cutting a genie song out yeah. of necessity. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. No, I think that again, this song wouldn't have worked if it wasn't Robin Williams. Well, we saw uh, yeah. Why? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, but, but again, like they had to reorchestrate it to a very different style to yeah. fit Will Smith right. because they had to make it a rap song. Otherwise, you would have had comparisons to Robin Williams and it would never have worked. I mean, you you remember the backlash the first time they uh, released the genie photos and he was not blue and people freaked out. So sure. they want they want, you know, they want yeah, the nostalgia. They, Right, they want the nostalgia, like so. Yeah. yeah. So I think Prince Ali, let's move forward. Feeling good on that? Mm-hmm. Sure. All right, and we're gonna end uh, Aladdin with a whole new world, and I'm just gonna say if, if we cut this song, my mom will yell at me. Um, lyrics by Tim Rice and music by Alan Macon. This is the first time um, in this um, discussion that we're talking about Tim Rice taking over for Howard Ashman. Um, the original version was sung by Brad Kane, the singing voice of Aladdin, and Leah Salonga, the singing voice of Jasmine. It's sung as Aladdin takes Jasmine on a magic carpet ride. Um, People Bryson and Regina Bell sing it um, for the end credits. The song would later go on to win the Academy Award for Best Original Song. There have been covers of the song, including Nick Lachey and his ex-wife Jessica Simpson, and Zayn Malik and Zavi Award for the end credits of the live-action remake. Um... I think out of all of the love duets, or maybe even out of all the love songs in Disney, this is the best one. Absolutely. Um, and <laughs> also the fact that Leia Salonga did so well in this movie that they asked her to come back from Mulan also yeah. says something to her. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the way that this song is performed and, and animated is absolutely perfect. And I also think that the length of the song is really good too, because it's not too long that uh, we get bored, but it's also not too short that we're not, that we're left like wanting more. Yeah. It, it's really well done. It's, I think it has a, a chance to go all the way, but that's just my opinion sure i I was gonna say that like a whole new world is one of the disney songs that i would argue is probably one of the best disney songs ever um first of all there aren't there aren't a lot of uh love duets in disney you know yeah there's not a lot at all and then this was like literally like it wasn't just like oh you know half and half that like someone got most of it and then someone came in at the end it was very much half and half and it was very two distinct points of view and like me looking at story like it's such a pivotal moment because not only are Aladdin and Jasmine like reunited, but like not really. You also like see that Jasmine's like before this, like Jasmine's not an idiot. Like, and she's like, okay, I got you street rat. And so, and then there's just the, the way it's executed. Like they fly away to China by the end. Like it's, it's just, it's just fantasy like, like at its best. It's like, magical. Right. It's literally traveling, traveling the world while singing through like a magical means with like the person you're destined to like fall in love with. Yeah. So like, I, for me, it's just quintessential Disney romance, but at the same time, it's, it's more than just like a romance song. It's like, you know, you know, most Disney songs are like, I want, I want this one's like, Ooh, no, we got it. And now we're going to yeah. enjoy it. You know? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's been used many of a time for a wedding first dance. Well, yeah. and the, the live, the live, the 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 version that uh, Kibo sang uh, won a Grammy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I will say that, like, I am not. I'm just not a huge fan of love songs. I don't know if that has to do with like. Do you not have a heart either? 
Well, I don't know. I approach life from an asexual perspective, which is a very different right, way right, to right, approach right. stories that every story in the ending has people getting together and like kissing and whatever. Welcome and, to like, the Renaissance. That's how the world works. But like, I, my brain works a little differently. But I've just never, love songs just like don't go anywhere for me largely. They kind of sit in one place. This one goes somewhere. This is the only one on my entire list out of all of the love songs that's, I did a scoring system out of 60. And this one is the only one that has above 50. Like it's, oh, it's the highest love song by far. So yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's safe to say we're moving it forward. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. All right, Aladdin. That was fun. It's time to move on to The Lion King, 1994. We are starting off with The Circle of Life. Music by Elton John. Lyrics by Tim Rice. The song is sung by Carmen Twill- Twilly and Lebo M as the film's opening song. The number takes place at the dawn of Simba's presentation as the animals of Pride Rock arrive and watch Rafiki lift up the future king. Elton John sang a pop version of the song with the London Community Gospel Choir. The song was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Song alongside two other tracks from this film. Um, again, this is a Disney classic. Yeah. Even just the, those first few notes. Like, all yeah. you have to hear is hear that thing. It's like, ah, Lion King. Like, this is a song that yeah. is literally written in another language, but everyone can sing it. Yes, <laughs> sure. yes, that's a great point. Do they sing it properly? No. Oh, absolutely but, not. Um, <laughs> also, I, I, did have to, I did have to dock points on the lyrics just for the translation, being Penguins as dumb as it is. A lion, a lion. Look, it's a lion. I was like, oh, that's creative. <laughs> yeah, right? But it's an epic song. Sometimes stuff just sounds better in another language. True. Um, yeah, I mean, again, if we're going to talk about movie moments, like this moment has been recreated so many times in so many parodies and we've all lifted something up and said, look at Simba. Yeah, literally. You write that I've done that with my cat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think it's safe to say Circle of Life will be moving forward. Yeah, um, move any, forward. An, anyone have anything else they want to talk about with Circle of Life? Good. Okay, okay. let's move on to I Just Can't Wait to Be King. Lyrics by Tim Rice, music by Elton John. It is performed by Jason Weaver as Simba, Rowan Atkinson as Zazu, Laura Williams as Nala, and a chorus. The song serves as Simba's I Want number as he shares his desire to be king. Jonathan Taylor Thomas as young Simba and Nikita Kalme as young Nala do not sing on this track. The song has been covered by the likes of Suburban Legends and Aaron Carter. <laughs> yeah. This is the moment when you remember Aaron Carter existed. Right. <laughs> Um, I'm not fighting for this one, but I don't have any dislike for it. This is a nice middle of the road song. It's fun. It's it's cute. It moves the story along. It's the I want song. Yeah. And like, like super colorful. Like if you watch it and you're on acid, you're probably like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Yeah. This is another one of those songs that I love the animation of and the performance in the animated movie is also really good. The way that they stack all the animals, the way that, you know, Simba actually sings it. I did not realize that Jonathan Taylor Thomas did not sing this song, (laughs) but. Nope, nope, nope. And I like, I mean, that that's a whole nother podcast of just Mm -hmm. figuring out why Disney hires these voice actors not to sing their own fucking songs, especially with this movie when you have, Matthew Broderick not singing his own music? Like, what? This doesn't yeah, make any sense. That but that, that's like, a whole dude, other discussion. <laughs> I know. Um, I mean, because again, the only person who sings this song who's actually in the movie is Rowan Atkinson. And you can say that's mostly speak talk. 
Um, yeah. So it's it, it's a Disney choice. Uh, maybe that's another podcast, but um, yeah, he he does not sing on it because I mean I'd say let's listen to what uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas sounds like now, but does anyone know where he is? No, <laughs> I know. And for someone who was such the teenage heartthrob of the time, uh, for him to well now he doesn't look like a teenage heartthrob, I guess. No, maybe not. That. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, he I did not make the successful transition. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so what, what do we have to say about this one? I'm fine with moving it on. If we didn't have enough enthusiasm and wanted to like leave it on the chopping block just to have a list, like I'm like I, I said, like, I'm not actively fighting for it, but I'm also cool moving on. I feel like there's, yeah. I feel like there's another song of Lion King that on the chopping block. I agree. Yeah. Okay. I also I also agree. <laughs> Is it the one we're about to talk about? No. No? Okay, no. interesting. Oh wow, it's very interesting then. Um, we're going to talk about Be Prepared, music by Elton John, lyrics by Tim Rice. It is performed by Jeremy Irons as Scar with Whoopi Goldberg, Cheech Marin, and Jim Cummings as Shenzai, Banzai, and Ed, respectively. In the song, Scar plots with his hyena henchmen to kill Simba and Mufasa, then take the throne. Um, Chiwetel Ejiofor sings the song in the live-action remake. Um, I'm just going to come out there and y'all can yell at me. This would be the song I would cut from uh, The Lion King. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just for, based on impact of all yeah, of the for five general songs. popularity and how like what percentage of humans, casual listeners are going to know songs. Yes, this one. If loses you're ranking Lion King. Lion King songs, this is going to be number five. Um, but I do really love it. Oh, me too. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it how you look at it, because like definitely like popularity and like know the masses knowing the song off the top of the head. Sure. But in terms of like the movie and like the story and like it's literally set the setup for Pride Rock to fall, you know? And so, and then it sets up the will did we seem so perfectly because now we're just on like this like downward thing where like everything's about to like get messed up for like, you know, Mufasa and Simba. Mm-hmm. And it's like epic. It's like he's like raising like a Nazi army of hyenas. Literally. Like, yeah. And they're just standing there and they're all just like marching in perfect formation. And they have like all the green smoke because we all know if there's green, if green in a Disney movie, it's evil. Um, but yeah, I definitely wouldn't wouldn't cut this. Okay, know. okay, okay, interesting. I think that this is one of the more iconic villain songs, um, and I think that if we're talking about like you know archetypes for songs and the way that things are done, I the performance of this by by Scar is also really good. The way that it's all animated, the way that it's all put together, I think I think that. It, it, this is one of the ones that needs to stay. Um, but And then y'all can yell at me for, for the next one. <laughs> okay, okay. I mean, like, this is, so this is where I'm torn. <laughs> because I don't think, I don't, for, for whatever reason, my brain is like, five songs from The Lion King feels like overrating it. Like, just pushing all of these through. And like, Can You Feel the Love Tonight is very over, underwhelming to me also. So like, I have that same opinion. But... It's also iconic and everyone knows it. So I'm in that weird place of like, what do I do? <laughs> I feel like we're kind of split now. So maybe it is a chopping block song. Um, and we as we can note it, just like, yeah. yeah, I think it's fine to have it for future discussion. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. certainly not a cut immediately song. <laughs> no. All right, so let's talk about the next one. Um, Venus, you're about to kill me right now, it feels mm-hmm. like. Hakuna Matata, uh, written by Elton John and Tim Rice, oh. performed by Nathan Lane, Simone, <laughs> and um, like Isabella. 
then. <laughs> no, you skipped one. Um, yeah, skip that's one? not the order you have it in on your list. Yeah. Oh, apologies. Well, we're, <laughs> we'll go in the order I have it on my sheet. Because um, I, yeah, I know what I did. All right, we're going to talk about Hakuna Matata. Um, Timon and Pumbaa literally translates to There Are No Worries in Swahili. Nominated for the Academy Award for Best Original Song. Ranked number 99 on the AFI 100 Years 100 Songs list. Performed by Il Billy Eichner as Timon and Seth Rogen as Pumbaa in the live-action remake with the addition of the word fart. Um, cover versions include Baja Men and Debbie Ryan for Disney Mania albums. Um, this is like the best best friend song ever in Disney history. Yeah, I love it. I love this one. I also don't hate the Seth Rogen, Billy Eichner version. It's just weird. It sounds weird because you're so used to um, Ernie Sabella and Nathan Lane. Fair. Um, I mean, here, this this is a, a phrase that has made it into everyday lexicon. So there is no way you can't move this forward. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, and I also, agree. if you want to talk about like pushing the story forward, it literally pushes the story forward by years. Yeah. So it's a really good like, okay, time has passed. Like now he's like in this life at the end of it. Um, I mean, I would argue that the animation does that, the song itself does not, but. Like, obviously it's within the scam. So again, yeah. I'm looking at what the song does for the progression of the movie. Sure. Um, Cause it starts and he's a kid and then it ends and he's an adult. Yeah. So and yeah, definitely for storytelling a hundred. Yeah. Okay, I'm moving it forward. I think it's a, it's That's a great easy. song. There's not much to talk about. Um, okay, so this is the controversial one. And I, um, well, well, okay. Can You Feel the Love Tonight? Written by Elton John and Tim Rice. Um, wow, okay. It is performed by Crystal Edwards along with Nathan Lane, Ernie Sabella, Joseph Williams, and Sally Dworsky as Timon, Pumbaa, Simba, and Nala respectively. The song serves as the love moment for Simba and Nala. The song won both the Academy Award and Golden Globe for Best Original Song. Elton John recorded a version of the song which won a Grammy. Beyonce, Donald Glover, Seth Rogen, Billy Eichner performed the song in the live action remake. I am terrified for the listeners who are going to scream at all of you for wanting to cut this because this is a Disney classic song. It is. Um, that doesn't mean it's good. <laughs> it doesn't, you know, but is it a top 64 song? I think absolutely it is. Mm -hmm. No. Wow. The issue I have with this song, Mike, is uh, I don't understand. I mean, like, here's the thing. I'm kind of leaning towards your side just because of the cultural place it has. But this is two verses without that many interesting lyrics, some of them repeated, bookended by Nathan Lane, which takes away even the romantic atmosphere of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and if you want to argue it, Nathan Lane was the only good part of that song. Well, I would you also know, originally agree. it was supposed to be um, well, Timon singing it, and they right, decided and I no. Like, and so I remember when I read that, I was like, why didn't they just keep it that? Why do they have this random background song with none of the characters sing? It just, it right. takes- By like clearly different voices. Like right. it does That's not even sound like that. You know, like, and so it's just like, I don't know, it, did, it, didn't, it didn't do it for me. I think the scene is beautifully animated and obviously it's a falling in love scene, which we were waiting for with Nala. The song does nothing for me. It does nothing for the scene. They should, if they wanted the song, they should have had the characters actually singing or like Timon and Pumbaa like narrating more. Like it just, it felt like it's a departure from what's going on. Well, the movie, I mean, the song itself asked the question, can you feel the love tonight? And the answer is no. Like I- <laughs> <laughs> the, only, the only spot I could feel the love tonight was in Nala's bedroom eyes. Besides that, I remember nothing. Yes, that is the only, that is the sexiest face <laughs> ever made by a female Disney character with the exception of Megara. But- <laughs> Well, also, this is literally just, a, it's like a kiss the girl copy that's not as good. Like, 
because it's it's same thing. It's you know, if someone outside singing about two people who are right. like There's having no, a love moment, no and it's and literally they're all having like a you know, it's a nature like adventure through wherever they're like they fall. Don't they fall down the waterfall too? And like they really like tumble down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like no, serves the face. So. Yeah, it's like I I think that this is out of all of the love songs. I think this is one of the worst ones. I, think I mean, is it one of my favorites? No, but I think the cultural impact outweighs almost everything you're all saying no. because Here's, of how much okay. is used in Disney parks <laughs> and in the Disney lexicon. It is so overwhelmed. Here's, here's what I pose. Cultural impact. Like, sure it is. Compared to like Beauty and the Beast cultural impact, no. But in, in the world of, the, we of, of Disney and Disney parks? That. We were kind of debating about that, but I just, I don't. I would here's, so every here's what I'll say. montage that's included. Here's my proposition. This can go on the chopping block for future discussion. And when we see how big that list is, then we, can we go, see yeah. how to move forward on this one. Yeah, I don't absolutely. think, I think the cultural impact saves it from being an instant cut, even if we all think it's very underwhelming. Yeah. Personally. Okay. Okay. Wow. The listeners are going to be very um, excited to hear <laughs> what the results of this one. All right, like we knew this was going to be a controversial no, I know, episode. I know, I know, I know. I just didn't think it was going to come to that song, though. All right, so we're going to move on to Pocahontas 1995, starting with Just Around the River Band. Music by Alan Menken, lyrics by Stephen Schwartz. It is performed by Judy Kuhn as the singing voice for Pocahontas. Irene Bidard serves as the voice of Pocahontas in the movie, but does not sing. The song is an I Want song, as Pocahontas must decide if she will follow tradition or have a new adventure. It's so, a meh song. It's meh. Oh, I so one, Stephen Schwartz, so I'm already like loving it. Two, um, I think that this is a good return for an I Want song. I think it is definitely better than I Just Can't Wait to Be King. And then on top of that, uh, Andrew, if you want to talk about a song that builds, yes. this is a song wow. that builds. It does. Um, she... It builds and then drops the tension at the end for her to like mm-hmm. literally sit there and stare into the water. There is, mm-hmm. there is a journey. I think, that, I think that the things that you are missing from part of your world, this song does better. Yep. I also think that the way that the lyrics are done, you know, because Stephen Schwartz wrote them, um, he, like the way that he is describing her actual world and being able to put it into context is super, super, super beautiful. And I, I honestly think that this is, again, one of the better songs in Disney. So I do not think it is a meh song, okay. Michael. <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah. Well, it's interesting. It's like I went back to rewatch this and Hunchback because of the Renaissance, these are my least two favorites. Um, and I wanted to see, like, as an adult with um, watching a more an adult-themed movie, how it would feel. And I was still so underwhelmed by the majority of this movie. So Pocahontas um, has a lot of problems Many as a problems. Movie. However, many problems. the music is still can really stand on its own that's i've i've felt that way about Pocahontas for years especially as like you get older and you actually learn the history and where it's just like <laughs> it's just what like what did they do they should never have made this i guess right. for me but the music of that movie is so good and solid it's just it, it's what makes i honestly i think the music is what makes it a good movie yeah okay okay um, so what do you want to do? You want to move it forward or chopping block? Moving forward? Okay. I think it's a move forward. I think right. we should move forward. All right. Well, <laughs> Mike's not happy. <laughs> I, no, it's not that I'm not happy. I'm just, I'm concerned. I'm concerned for you, Andrew, for the next film. Nope. Um, 
I'll we fight. are now going to talk about my f- favorite moment of uh, Pocahontas, which, again, a little controversial, is Mine, 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 written by Alan Menken and Stephen Schwartz. The song features David Ogden Styers as both Governor Radcliffe and singing to himself as Wiggins, and Mel Gibson as John Smith. The number follows Radcliffe as he demands his men to dig up Virginia for gold. Yeah, I think this should be cut immediately. Damn it! You know what? I'm not fighting for this one. There's other. Um, there's a different song I'm fighting it's for. It's just not but, remarkable among villain songs at all. But, no, and songs. I think this villain particularly is absolutely terrible. And if yeah. I don't think it's a character that we should have represented in our uh, in the top 64. He's queer coded in a lot of unsafe ways. Well, so is right. Jafar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, so is Jafar. Yes, <laughs> but Jafar is more interesting. Really? Um, again. Because we, we discuss a lot of um, the impact of the Disney music in the world of Disney parks. Mine, mine, mine is represented in Fantasmic. Yeah, it, and it so was Song of the South up until... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I, just, because, just because it's represented in the parks doesn't mean it should be. Like, well, the... I mean, we're, again, we're talking about songs. Is it a good song? It's fun. Yeah. It's, it's a fine no, song, but there's nothing song. exceptional about it. Okay. I don't think, see, this is the thing. I don't, I don't think it's necessarily a bad song, um, especially when it cuts like John Smith and he's doing like he's exploring and stuff like that. I like his little like. It actually builds pretty well. I gave yes. it a high score on build. I just gave it a low score on everything else. Right, because it, it's not, it's like, again, it doesn't really push the story forward. You know they're there to dig for gold. You know they're going to destroy the land. You know that Radcliffe's an asshole. Um, so it, again, it doesn't push the story forward. It's not a bad song. It just doesn't do anything. Yeah. And it's a it's a moment when you have a voice actor singing to himself. Right. And, oh yeah. And shoot a shoot a form for Mel Gibson. So here we are. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no, I'm talking about David Ogden Sires literally singing to himself. Yeah, because he's, he's Wiggins and Radcliffe. Oh right. Mm-hmm. So he's like, hey, nanny, nanny, hey, nanny, yeah. nanny, and then talks to himself. Oh, how I love it! Yeah. <laughs> um, listen, I. It's one of the songs that I enjoy. I it, can I cut it short? I'm fine with that. Um, right. Kill I'm, it with again, fire. <laughs> kill it with hellfire. I'm ready to kill hellfire, but we're not there yet. Big old um, bury it. Okay, we're cut. Mine, mine, mine is gone. Apologies to Ratcliffe. Okay, so I mean, we're moving on to our last uh, Pocahontas entry, and I think this is the song from the movie. It is Colors of the Wind, music by Alan Menken, lyrics by Stephen Schwartz, performed by Judy Kuhn as Pocahontas, as she poetically shares the Native American viewpoint of Earth and humankind to John Smith. It won the Oscar and Golden Globe for Best Original Song. Vanessa Williams recorded the song as the lead track for the movie, and there are an abundance of covers, including Vanessa Hudgens, Sarah Ramirez, Ashanti, and Christy Carlson Romano. Um, I, it's safe to say it's going to move forward, forward, probably. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's absolutely. a move forward. One, um, but, we love Christy Carlson Romano. I mean, who does not? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's a, it, this is what is Pocahontas. This song is so important to the story. It is so important as a standalone song in our world as well. Um, yeah. it's, it's really gorgeously performed by Judy Kuhn. Um, this is what you remember from Pocahontas. Mm-hmm. It's also really important because this is the... Uh, I feel like this is the antithesis to the song that shall not be named. Uh, But it is like what's really proving the point, proving that, you know, he's wrong, that it's that 
they that she she is important and that their culture is important and she's like it's almost like she's opening his she is opening his eyes to everything that she knows and sees and that's that's also what makes this song super 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 important yeah i also love the fun fact that judy kuhn specifically said when she was recording this she's like i don't know what blue corn moon means but i'm gonna sing it (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, i i think this is um this is an easy is it gonna win it all probably not but you know what it's 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 a 64 song it's definitely not a, 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 a chopping one no. no. All right. So we're moving on to the next movie that has five entries. Um, and I'm curious to figure out if any or one or two or five are moving forward. But we are going to talk about The Hunchback of Notre Dame from 1996. And we are going to start off with The Bells of Notre Dame, music by Alan Mink and lyrics by Stephen Schwartz, performed by a chorus and Paul Candle as Clopin. As he tells the tale of Quasimodo, it also features Tony J as Claude Frollo and David Ogden Styers, who just sang all of Mine, Mine, Mine as the Archdeacon. Lopin claims that Quasimodo means half-formed, but it really means almost made. All right, so this is the opening moment sequence of Hunchback. So this is, I know that Andrew loves Hunchback, but this is my problem overall, period. The score is too loud. Um, no, no I understand matter. what you're saying with that. So like when I, I can barely hear people singing sometimes during this entire movie. And I think that that's a problem because the whole point of a musical is that you're allowed and able to tell the story through song. And if I can't hear or understand what anyone is saying during those songs, because the score is so, so deafening, then it, it loses the power of actually having a song. I think the only one that isn't super, super, super loud is God Help the Outcasts. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's interesting that you said, because I do agree with you. So before we go into this, I think Hunchback is probably one of the most musically impressive Disney movies. Sure. You know, just mm-hmm. what they do and like that loudness that you think, and the reason, and I don't know if this is what, it, but like, I feel like the loudness goes, but he lives among like all these massively loud bells so I feel like it was a stylistic thing to make this a loud movie for this character who's literally ringing these massive bells inches from his face. Um, yeah, I get what you're saying because like the people's voices, especially like they robbed Paul Candles of his last note in Bells of Notre Dame because it's an amazing last note and he's too yeah, far back. Yeah, and then they're just like, ah! you know, like, But it's also stunningly gorgeous in every way. Alan Menken himself said when he wrote it that it's his best score. Like. This, mm-hmm. I, it, I'm sorry, I will do whatever I have to do to not have this song get cut. This is my fucking song. I get chills, literally chills every goddamn time I listen to this. The, yeah, lyrics, say- the lyrics are minimal, but they mm-hmm. tell a story so well and every one of them is brilliant. I would say that if there are two songs out of here, it's this one and God Help the, God Help the Outcast. I think we could cut. Uh, oh. I think Out There is also really good, but I think that Topsy Turvy and Hellfire can can go. I I'll be fighting you on some of this, but okay. Like... So all right, what do we what do we what how what do we do with Bells of Notre Dame? Oh, push, yeah. I think we can push this one. The last okay. the last thirty seconds push it forward for me. Yeah. Like, okay. The fact okay. that he takes the light motif of the entire movie and establishes it in this song and then turns it major by literally just changing an F to an F sharp is brilliant. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 
Let's talk about Out There, written by Alan Menken and Stephen Schwartz, performed by Tom Hulse as Quasimodo and Tony Jay as Frollo. The song starts with Frollo telling Quasimodo to stay in the bell tower or he'll be reviled as a monster, but Quasimodo has dreams of leaving. It is compared to Part of Your World from Little Mermaid, Mother Knows Best from Tangled, and honestly, I think it's basically um, uh, Corner of the Sky from Pippin. It is corner of the sky from there, Yes, I can. I I'd never made that comparison before, but yes. Yeah. Well, it's written by the same. same well, no. Well, yes. <laughs> um, but again, I mean, you, when you have something mm-hmm. that works, it works. Does out there work? Yes, I think it does. I think it works. Yeah, I do too. It's sweeping and thrilling. But again, this and is a very the contrast. If you want to talk about lyrical right. songs, though, this is one of those lyrical songs that gets crushed by the score. Like, I understand. And his voice. I mean, there, Tom Hulse is, are, has a very... Parts of it. I think it's a very, like, up and down kind of song because there are lower choir parts, when, especially in the beginning, when he's just kind of, like, being, like, a, like an observer. And then when he starts, like, hopping on everything and, like, really, like, no, this is, like, all I want in life to, like, just get out of here. It, I, I, I very much like, like you say, the swell. I like the swell of where it goes. And, you know, I feel like, I feel like the I Want songs are the ones that are always remembered because it's like literally what the movie comes to be about, you know? So the I Want songs are always going to be, you know, talking about cultural, even though Hunchback doesn't have like the same, uh, you know, cultural standing as some of the other Disney movies, but I feel like that one, yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah. Of the I Want songs, yeah. I mean, yeah, for me, I will, I will like also admit, I will never be able to completely remove bias from this song because I have been singing it for 12 years. This has been in my book for 12 years. This is like the perfect range for my voice. It gives me a good belt forever. Um, I just love this song. I love the journey it goes on. I love the contrast of we watch exactly how Frollo is manipulating Quasimodo and how he keeps him under his power while also putting mm-hmm. it under the guise of like penitence. Um, so it's a, and that, that brilliant, just pessimism and then establishes that even in the face of that Quasimodo's heart is like ready to fly and swell. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. it, in terms of talking about songs that are essential to the story. Here you go. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, I mean, I think the only thing, um, to note is again, we're talking about how powerful the score is, how powerful the song is. Tom Hulse's voice is very shaky and yes, that's good for the character. Do I wish it was a cleaner sound to make this the song perfect? Absolutely, but it's a character choice. Um, but I think this, we're in agreement that we're going to move it forward. Mm-hmm. All right. Now we talk about Topsy Turvy, music by Alan Menken, uh, lyrics by Stephen Schwartz, performed by Paul Candle as Clopin welcomes the crowd and hosts the Festival of Fools, where they will crown the King of Fools. The song features historical references as well as references to the Victor Hugo novel, because there are a lot of liberties taken in this movie. Um, listen, you say that I, as if Disney doesn't take liberties right, in any movie. I know, I'm aware. I'm a, I just I'm aware. thrown that at me as an argument against Hunchback like 40 times in the past two days, and I'm like, you I'm love aware. Tarzan, boy. I, <laughs> Tarzan took liberties. Well, it's beautiful. Um, listen, <laughs> I love this song. I just I put it on the list knowing that it'll probably end up being cut, but it is the most fun you have in this entire movie because the movie is so goddamn dark you need this moment of lightness it's it's a it's a very fun song it's a very fun scene even though the scene does get dark like yeah the last moment of this of this is like a 
right. is also a very dark mo moment yeah, for the no, movie. It starts off fun and then it just compiles down. I think though this is my least favorite song of the movie. If I were to list them all. Yeah. I love this movie and I'm ready to cut this song, so. Okay, okay. <laughs> Bye, Topsy Turvy. All right, next we're talking about God Help the Outcast, um, music by Alan Menken, lyrics by Stephen Schwartz, performed by Heidi Mullenhauer, who serves as a singing voice for Demi Moore. Esmeralda reacts to how Quasimodo and her people are treated by society. There is a pop cover performed by Bette Midler. It's a beautiful song. It's really yeah, beautiful. I think that this is probably another one of those important ones. Um, again, I think this is one that is done. Uh, I mean, Andrew, you were talking about how out there is in a is in, has been in your book for twelve years. I think this has been in the book of many people for many years as well. Um, I think because of that, it's important. It's a beautiful song that has a great range to it. Um, I think that this one should stay. Like I said, the, the, my three top are definitely out there: Bells of Notre Dame and, and God Help the Outcast. So. I think that if there's, there's another one that we should push forward, it's this one. I, I love this song. It's, it's beautiful. Um, thematically, it takes the religious themes that are so prevalent in this movie being set in a cathedral, and it takes a person who is hypothetically outside of the church. And so there's this wonderful, it achieves this wonderful double calling where you can read this just as Esmeralda is praying for her people to be helped, for the downtrodden to be helped. And you're seeing just the general Parisians praying for much more selfish things. And so it's a, it's a character thing for Esmeralda. But at the same time, there's almost this tinge of like a call for like, if you are a thing, God, you should be helping the downtrodden. You know what I mean? There's almost a challenge in it too. So there's a lot of depth to a really simple song. And I think that is incredible. I will say that this is my fourth song from the movie. I put Hellfire far above this, but I agree that it's beautiful and I would like to move it forward. Yeah, and also it's the only, since the character's mostly males, it's the only female song in the movie. True. All right, let's move forward with God Help the Outcast. And we are rounding out Hunchback with Hellfire. Written by Alan Macon and Stephen Schwartz, it is performed by Tony J. as Frollo. Frollo sings of his lust for Esmeralda. The song is often paired with Quasimodo's song, Heaven's Light, where he sings of his love and hope that Esmeralda may love him back. Um, I will not speak first on this one. I'm going to come in and I'm going to put my impassioned defense for this song and why this shouldn't even be a chopping block. It just needs to go straight through. This is the single most menacing villain song in the Disney, like, this, I, there were, there are many people who are like, as a child, I was terrified of this song. Isn't that what a villain song should do? Like, it's fucking terrifying. It uses religious themes. It does this brilliant transition from, first of all, Heaven's Light comes in and Quasi does this, like, he's viewing Esmeralda as like an angel and lifting her up on this amazing pedestal. And then immediately goes down into the church where we hear some Gregorian chants that then swell into the Beata Maria that Tony J starts on. Um, we're talking about people wanting to sing these songs with the amazing notes with a clear voice. Tony J fucking kills the last note on this song. Um, and it's just, this is the most human villain song in the Disney canon. Like, this is literally watching somebody who believes himself to be a righteous man. He's talking about, like, this is how he justifies the evil. This is how he spirals into the level of burning Paris. 
is that he doesn't understand how this, it's full on slut shaming Esmeralda because it's like, how dare she make me feel this way? It's certainly not on me that this is a problem. And then to literally get to the point of like, she's mine or I'm gonna burn her is so massively menacing. <laughs> That like, there is no way with that, the swelling of the choir, the bringing back in of the hunchback light motif for the hellfire. Um, it's, I, there's, I have too many good things to say about this song. <laughs> um, yeah, I agree, actually agree with everything that you said. And like you said, well, like you said, it was like, it's like the most human villain song, you know? Cause it's like literally someone who's like trying not, even though he's like evil and like he's trying to not be a hypocrite and then finally gives into like, no, I just want her. And that gives into that evil side. And also, yeah, terrifying. All those red hoods. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> not ready for that. Um, so uh, actually, I'm going to pop off for two minutes. I have to go pick up my boyfriend, but I'm going to do the Bluetooth in the car so I can still be part of the conversation. All right. So I will pop back on in three minutes. Cool. All right. Well, you got my opinion on Hellfire. Okay. <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I think you, I think you uh, convinced me to keep this. Honestly, I mean, no, I... I agree with everything that you say. Um, I think that this is another one of those songs uh, in this movie, though, where the score really overpowers the singer. And I just think that detracts from the song. Um, I have that experience much less in this song, but I, you know, I respect that that's your experience Mm -hmm. with it. (laughs) Um, I just think, I think that I agree with you that Alan Menken really like outdid himself on this one with the score. It's incredible. I mean, he is an incredible composer. There's a reason why he did all of these movies. Like I, uh, my my hat is off. I think he is one of the greatest composers of our time, but he, um, I I just think that this one is not, we can keep it, but I think that, so I think there should be another one. Here's my, concern looking over the list as it goes right now i would question the validity of a ultimate disney song list where hellfire would beat out be prepared and can you feel the love tonight i don't think it's going to beat out both of them i think i think at least one of those I, well i think on. i think both of those songs are um more iconic than hellfire so i would i would be nervous to not have this as a potential chopping block song compared when you have those two at least on the chopping block. I think that there are enough chopping block songs coming up that that isn't a concern. Okay. And I think my defense was impassioned enough yeah, that we don't okay. need to be thinking strategically. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, well, and, I mean, that, and that's the thing. It's like, I look at the list and I have three songs that would get cut out of the rest. Okay, so Hellfire. Are we moving it forward? Or are we chopping blocking it? All right, yeah, let's, forward. let's move it forward. All right. Okay, we are going to discuss the 1997 film Hercules. We are going to start yeah. off with Go the Distance, music by Alan Menken, lyrics by David Zippel, performed by Roger Bart as Hercules, who served as the singing voice for Josh Keaton and Tate Donovan. In the film, after realizing he has godlike strength, young Hercules prays to the gods for help as he leaves his foster parents behind to go on a quest. Michael Bolton performs um, the pop version of the film of the song for the film's ending. I always forget that until we get to the credits. And, and I'm like, Ricky oh Martin, yeah. Ricky Martin <laughs> performed like, the right. Spanish version. Uh, the song was nominated for Best Original Score for the Academy Awards and uh, Best Original Song for Academy Awards and Golden Globes. Um, what's there to say that's not positive about Go the Distance? Yeah, it's too just, short. 
It's too short. Would, okay, okay. It, it, is, is. it is very short. Uh, all the music in Hercules, I think, is too short. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that's one of the reasons why there hasn't been like an actual Broadway musical version of this, which is honestly the one a of travesty. the biggest. It, it's a travesty. Tra- yes. yeah, it, it, they it, have it, a it, Greek it, chorus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think it's a beautiful song. It is definitely a one of my favorite I Want songs. Um, oh, I think yeah. this beats out part of your world. I think this is the best it's I Want easy. song. Yeah, sorry, Bella. Um, I, 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 didn't, I didn't. Just because I think it's a really good movie doesn't mean that I think it's the best movie. <laughs> um, yeah, I think this is an absolutely moving forward song. Mm-hmm. Same. Yeah. percent. Easy. All right. Next up, we have Zero to Hero, written by Alan Menken and David Zippel. It is performed by Lilius White, Lashans, Roz Ryan, Shell Freeman, Vanessa Y. with Thompson as the mu- Thomas as the muses. The song serves as a passage of time song as Hercules goes from being a no one to being a somebody. And we have cover versions from Ariana Grande and Kiki Palmer. Um, Ariana did this? Really? Wow. Yeah. I did not know that. For um, We Love Disney. Oh. Yeah, yeah. We, we loved it. Oh. That was our I've heard the Kiki Palmer one, but I haven't heard Ariana. Oh, it's brilliant. It's interesting. It's very, very good. I'm going to have um, to look that up after this. It's incredible. Yeah, right. I, this is my favorite song in the entire yep. movie. Oh, 100%. I think Gospel Truth is better. Okay. I, think well, if, I think if Gospel Truth were longer, it would be a better song than Zero to Hero. Longer? There's three, there's three parts to it. Well, well, I think you have to put all three parts together for it to, exactly. and I still don't think it's as long as Zero to Hero. See, I did the same exact comparison, and I literally considered pitching Gospel Truth. You can ask Mike. I talked. That was my I first initial. I was like, I, I might pitch too. that, but I think Zero to Hero has a better wait, wait, chance just, just, and is the stronger Muses song. What? 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 We'll finish through Hercules, and maybe something will happen. But um, I, I think this is the. This to me is the best Muses song. I agree. This is my, this, in my personal tournament, I don't know what my exact one favorite Disney song is, because there's a few that, like, if I'm feeling different on a day, it could switch between, but this is in contention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yes, I agree, and I think it's the best song in the movie. Yeah. All right, moving it forward? Yeah. Yes. yes. Okay. Next we have I Won't Say I'm In Love written by Alan Menken and David Zippel, performed by Susan Egan as Megara with backing from the Muses, comprised of Lilius White, Vanessa Y. Thomas, Cheryl Freeman, LaShawns, and Roz Ryan. The song follows Meg as she denies her growing feelings for Hercules as she reminds herself that falling in love is a bad idea. Um, there are cover versions including Belinda Carlisle, The Cheetah Girls, and once again, Ariana Grande. So I, wouldn't, I know this is not the best song of the movie, but it's my favorite song of the movie because it's just for every three it's like first of all it's catchy you have the muses being like fun in the background um and it's like who hasn't been in that place where they're like nope i don't want to fall in love even though i really like him and fuck love but fine i won't say it out loud screw you all you know kind of it's it's also like a super relatable song too um and meg being like the character that i know that in the beginning some people don't initially like her especially she's working for hades it's like it's like where we go, where we get on Meg's team, you know? Um, so yeah, I really like it. it yeah. It's a really good growth song for Meg because she's been so hard the entire movie. Um, and it really shows us like who she is and her tenderness and the way that that she, had, it really labels her hurt that has been 
you know, shown, shown to us earlier in the movie. It's a great character song for her. I agree. This is the, my one um, criticism is that it's too short again. Yeah. Yes, that's the one thing I would say, it's too short. Yeah. Um, I think that this is one of the better love songs of Disney period. I think it's, it's a wonderful a subversion of a love song. Yeah, because it's it's because it, it starts off almost like an anti love song, and then kind of yeah. through you know her own self discovery becomes a love song. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's yeah. great. I I say move it forward. Same. Yep. All right, ready for our, for our first pitch of the night. Um, which means we have to cut an additional song, so get ready for these cuts to happen if, unless we want to, if this is going to be cut. Uh, the song is The Gospel Truth. Um, music by Alan Menken, lyrics by David Zippel, performed by Lily Sweat, LaShawns, Roz Ryan, Cheryl Freeman, and Vanessa Y. Thomas as the muses. The song serves as a prologue to the story and shares the information before Hercules begins. Um, Venus, it's your pitch. You start. Um, I think that the, if you want to talk about score, this one is definitely a huge score song. Um, the way that the choir is set up, I don't know how five people are singing all of those parts, but it, it's happening. Um, it does a great job at setting up the movie and telling us all the backstory. And on top of that, it's great at, at if we're going to put all three parts together, it does a great job of being what the Greek chorus does it, by telling the story, uh, like the background information that's going on. Um, the muses are probably some of the best vocalists in the Disney discography. I think that to keep this out is uh, would be a disservice. See, and I would say this would be my third muse song because I would put A Star Is Born over it. And I kept that off the list because I don't think that is even a top 64 or even top. Well, because first of all, star, a star is born. A star is born is like the shortest song in yeah. the movie. A star is born gets song. like verse. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, again, I don't. I'm, Nothing. I, it gets like a verse, one chorus, and then like the close. Yeah, I, I'm just not sure that the gospel truth is a top 64 song compared to a lot of songs that we may end up cutting here. If if in order to get it on the chopping block, me boosting it that, like saying good things about, you know what I mean? If you two are talking about cutting it, but I could boost it to at least be in discussion for the end, I will do that. Cause I think it's worth it. I wish it had, there's a bird that just flew into my window. That was fun. Um, <laughs> I, I wish it had um, gone further through the song or through the movie. Like I wish mm-hmm. that there were maybe a fourth and fifth installment and then it could really be hefty and have done even more. Like, again, you're talking about Venus, the length is just the weakness in some of these songs. But I think it's really great. And it's an excellent opener and you are correct. The score, especially the first part, the way it swells into the chorus of the opening is brilliant. Well, I mean, if you, if again, we want to compare and contrast opening numbers, this isn't even a top three in this, um, uh, this debate for the Renaissance movies. We've already talked about um, three numbers that have more impact than the gospel truth. Well, because you're talking about Bell and then uh, Circle of Life, Circle of Life, and Bells of Notre Dame. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, I, I, it's hard for me. But Again, I also Hercules think... is my favorite Disney movie. So, but I it, think it's... this would be the fourth one. I will say, if we're going to talk about openings. Really? Yes. We haven't even. We haven't, I would put number four as two worlds. Nope. Absolutely okay. not. Bye. No. Right. <laughs> no. Goodbye. <laughs> okay. 
I would put it on the chopping block at least. If we're not no, going to get you guys to move it straight through, I would a, put it on the chopping yeah. block. Yeah. Not we're losing you a little bit. Because it's a, it, well, it's a different, well, I think also like Hercules is a, because it's a different type of opening song rather than like introducing you to like a character and what's going on. They're literally just giving you a history lesson of like everything that led up to like what you're about to see. Um, well, that's and... what um, Bells of Notre Dame does too. Yeah, yeah but in this I, I in guess. this case, this one is, this... is very effective because you're getting, like Hercules is gonna be a completely different style from any Disney movie that we have ever seen. And this song tells you right, right. away. Because it at least in the, in, the opening, in the opening of Hunchback, in the opening of Oak, uh, Nah, we're losing you, we're losing you. Hunchback, mm. Oh no! Ah. <laughs> like fully animated in your recording, what happened? I lost all of that. I yeah, we didn't get any of that, Bella. <laughs> oh, it's because I'm driving. I'm probably going through a thing of uh, service. No, I just again, it's it's a it's different. I think it's different than Hunchback than the opening of Hunchback. The opening of Hunchback, you're immersed in the history, whereas this, you're like you're being taught history, you know? There's a slight difference sure. for me in story, I, as far as a storytelling device. And and what I would will say once again, and this may be a theme for the rest of the podcast, is this song better than Can You Feel the Love Tonight and Be Prepared? I mean, yes. it's better than Can You Feel the Love Tonight. It's better than Can You Feel the Love Tonight. But, but nice. for a Disney list, I don't know if that is worth i don't know that's why i'm saying if if we need to put it on the chopping block for now and have a discussion when we see what we're looking at fine yeah i'm i'm fine putting it on the the end but i'm not gonna just cut it later yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't cut it either yeah all right we're done with hercules and moving on to mulan from 1998 we are starting with honor to us all written by matthew wilder and david zippel performed by leah salonga as fa mulan marnie nixon as grandmother fa and beth fowler in the movie, Ming-Na Wen and June Foray are the speaking voices from Mulan and Grandmother Fa, respectively. So once again, not getting our voice actors. The song follows Mulan as she gets ready for the matchmaker. It's a cute moment. It's, it's fun. fine. I don't need it. So, so also, Stephen Schwartz was supposed to be on this movie. Right. And he couldn't do it. Um, but, well, it was either do Prince of Egypt, which was with DreamWorks, or do right. this or do this movie. And then Disney threatened him and said, if you do Prince of Egypt, we're going to You're take done. you off of we're gonna take you off of Hunchback and Pocahontas. Like you'll get no credit for it. Which is what like that's why when you Google it, like he's not on any of the and like you can go and read that he was on it, but he's yeah. not like actually accredited as well as Alan Menken. Which is um, petty AF. <laughs> right. Seriously yeah. though. The there were a couple songs that he had already written for the movie too, um, which are, all three of them are very good. Um, that are that were cut from the movie because he did not do because he went with Prince of Egypt. Um, written in Stone, I think we should we should be on this list if it were in the movie. But <laughs> it's not. It's not. Um, okay. What I would else? I would personally cut this one. I would cut yeah, it too. I would I, again. It's cute. You get the whole. You get the setup that she's not you know, the typical girl that, you know, society wants her to be. But yeah, I, I could I could live without it. All right. This is this is one of my favorite songs from the movie personally, but I I agree. This is this is a, a setup song that doesn't do as well as all the other songs. Sure. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right. Well, next we're going to discuss Reflection, music by Matthew Wilder, lyrics by David Zippel, sung by Leah Salonga as a singing voice for Ming-Na Wen's Mulan. It is performed after Mulan returns home from a failed attempt to impress her matchmaker. The single version of the song was recorded by new pop star Christina Aguilera. The song was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Original Song. Um, I, again, we're going iconic moments and and longevity of music in the Disney canon. Reflection has has stayed the test of time. I I would push it forward. I, again, this for me is even more glaringly than any of the Hercules songs. Too short. Mm-hmm. It's so yeah. short. <laughs> also, Andrew. It's, yeah, it's so short. But it's like that's it's the quintessential song when you think about Mulan. I think right. this is, yeah, I think it's, I agree. I think there's another forward. quintessential song for Mulan for me, but I agree that this is the second one. <laughs> well, uh, right. Also, like, as far as, like, Mulan as, like, a character, you know? Sure. Yeah. Also, yeah. Andrew, every time I talk to someone about this, I get so many conflicting answers. Is there a key change in this song? Or is it just, a, or is it just the chord progression? No, it's a yeah. chord progression. Yeah, it's yeah. modal shift through the chords, but it doesn't actually change keys. Oh, okay. If it changed keys, maybe it would have a higher journey score from me. (laughs) (laughs) But all right, we're moving this one forward. That was easy. Yeah. Simple. All right, we are moving next to I'll Make a Man Out of You. The song is written by Matthew Wilder and David Zippel, performed by Donny Osmond as the singing voice for B.D. Wong, who actually can sing. So again, question mark. Um, Captain Lee Shang and the chorus... It, the DVD features a music video of the song performed by Jackie Chan, in case you haven't seen that. I have seen that. It's actually kind of great. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I think this is the one that everyone's like, oh, yeah, this is Mulan. It, it, it definitely is the nostalgia entry from the movie. Yeah, it's also it's, an it's, excellent song. Yeah, it's a great song. And another one, pushing the story, story forward, you see them all start off as losers, and at the end, they can all kick ass. You know, it's it's very, you know, like, this is what I mean. If Without this song, the story would not progress the same way. Sure. Yeah, and the, the, the some parts, there were parts of it, like when I was trying to listen to it with an objective ear, because I like this song, um, I was sitting there and I was like, okay, they're using the orchestration a little sparingly in some parts and maybe I would like more, but I almost think that that's intentional. Like at the end, when the uh, instrumentation drops out and you have the couple of yes, instrumental uh-huh. moments with the hits, I was sitting there, my first thought, because I'm a choir acapella nerd, was like, where are the harmonies? But then I was like, they're soldiers. It's more right, like a battle chant when you just lead right, it exactly. in unison. It's, it's meant um, to sound militant, I think. And again, if we're talking about like, okay, Hakuna Matata entered the lexicon, there's also a swath of the population that if you say, let's get down to business, to defeat the Huns immediately follows. Correct. Well, also, also um, uh, all, all of the lyrics to this song, even though I'm blanking on them currently, <laughs> um, the, tranquil as a forest, but on yeah, fire with Tranquil, the one about the hurricane, like uh-huh. the all of, yeah. I think all of them are. This is this is one of the few songs that I gave a ten on lyrics for. Mm-hmm. So yeah, because also it also allows you to it gives character to all the other side characters that are about to become really important too. Yeah. Sounds like we're moving it forward. I think so. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> all right. Our last entry from Mulan is A Girl Worth Fighting For, written by Matthew Wilder, David Zippel. It is performed by Harvey Firestein, Jerry Tondo, and James Hong as Yao, Po, and Fu, respectively with Leah Salongo as Mulan and Matthew Wilder as the singing voice for Ling. In the song, the soldiers dream of the women back home. The song is very reflective of Nothing, but a, nothing Like a Dame from South Pacific. 
Um, this would have been the song I would cut immediately from Mulan. Yeah, I think we can cut this one too. The I most interesting say, part of the song is when they is walk the up on the end. village. Yeah. I will say this. Yes, the song is meh, but it, I think it's the sh- sharpest left in a Disney movie that they've ever done. Sure. Like, they didn't even finish the song. And so yeah. that, I, I really enjoyed that, especially as a storytelling device where you go from one to another. But yeah, as far as the song itself, it's, yeah. it's I'm not even it's sure. I'm not even sure you can qualify the uh, shift out of the song as part of the song entirely. Like, it doesn't right, save the song. It does, <laughs> it's oh, just no, really compelling. It doesn't save the song. It's just as a, used as a storytelling device to immediately change the tone of what's going on in the movie. I think it was very well done. Yes. But that has nothing to do with the song. But I you agree. need the song in order for that to happen. And Andrew, if you want to talk about, like, a song that, one, there's no harmonies in this song. Nothing. Really. And two... <laughs> None yeah. of them, are, none of them sound good while they're singing. Like no. I wouldn't say, I don't like well, any of their singing like, voices. Well, because in this one, they're kind of like, they're kind of like singing. Ah, we're losing you again. Yeah, they're, they're speak singing. Really... Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> kind of like talking through it. Yeah. It's one of those things where there's so many songs in the Disney canon, like... <laughs> this is a song right here. This is a whole thing. I would, I would listen to this song. Let's move this song right, through. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like, there are so many ensemble numbers in Disney that do character voices but fit them into a song well. This one did not. No. no. Yeah. I mean, it's Harvey Firestein. Come on. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. No bueno. No bueno. <laughs> All right. So we're put, putting we're cutting this one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We are moving on to 1999, the last entry on our list, and this is the one where I'm going to be a lot of fighting here. Um, we are going to talk about Tarzan, uh, starting off with the opening number, Two Worlds, written by Phil Collins, performed by Phil Collins as the opening song, and serves as the prologue as Tarzan and his birth parents end up in the African jungles. There is a duet version featured in the sequel performed by Collins and Mandy Moore. Um, Cut the whole film. No, absolutely <laughs> not happening. No Controversial way. opinion, agree. <laughs> wow, okay. Oh, so wow. I'm going to say this to you, Mike. I was listening through these songs before I did my rewatch of the movies. And every other song from Tarzan, I remembered. Mm-hmm. This one came into the start, started in the verse, and I was like, what the fuck song is this? It was not yeah, until we like, got to the two worlds, one family part that I was like, oh, okay, I guess I've heard oh, it. Right. I didn't remember um, a thing of this. I, uh, so personally, I, I kind of also feel like the same reason why I don't like, you know, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? Because it takes you out of it with like the Phil Collins song. It's like, okay, it's just a background song. So I don't, and this, this, I don't even see view that as like a Disney song. It's a score song, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like it's just background. Like I, so the whole thing of Tarzan, like for me, the only Disney song in Tarzan is Trash in the Camp, which is barely a song anyway. Um, but yeah, I, man. That's really how I feel too, is that when Phil Collins, cause he's also, he also did Brother Bear, right? Yes. yes. Is yes. that the, is that the only other one that he did? Yep. I think yeah. so. So the thing is, is like when you're telling a story through a musical and you're not having the actual characters sing those songs, it becomes completely disconnected from the story. Like 
it sounds, yeah, it sounds nice in the background and everything, but there are, I would say none of these songs are ones that I'm like singing in the shower thinking that like, this is a great Disney song. I can't, the only one that I might feel that way is You'll Be In My Heart. And even then it's a shitty love song that does not even really uh, portray the love between the two of them very, very nicely because it's some third party voice that has been throughout with the entire movie, but is not right. connected to any of the characters. Um, I, feel I, would like, ag- I would agree that Trash in the Camp is probably the only one that deserves to I mean, stay. So he, here's my Correct. argument is that if, if that's, if you're arguing based on it needs to be sung in musical form, then most of the, well, there's going to be a lot of entries in the 21st century that need to be removed immediately. And there are a couple songs from the classics that would have to be removed. Um, this is the style of the the show. Um, I mean, let's be real. This one made it to Broadway, and Hercules still can't because it this it was not the best, but it still managed to figure out a way to turn this these mu- songs into a musical. Um, if you're gonna, if we want to cut, I, I'm not. Two Worlds is not the one I would fight for. Um, so if we're feeling right now, we want to cut Two Worlds and start moving on. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um, but let's let's discuss you'll be in my heart phil collins performed at the start yeah. by glenn close it is in musical format as the character is singing she's singing as kala then collins takes over kala now tarzan's adoptive mother sings to get him to stop crying it won the academy award and Glo- golden globe for best original song covered by julie andrews and usher i mean this this song is obviously quintessential tarzan um it's this is beautiful. definitely the most known 100%. And, and it again, there there are, it, this panel is different than the other panel where we did a lot of comparisons of how the theme parks played a part in the Disney lexicon and how music formed, uh, informed the Disney canon of um, animation. There was an entire stage show at Animal Kingdom devoted to all five of these songs um, for Tarzan. Tarzan Rocks lasted a, quite a long time. There was an uproar when the show was um, canceled for Finding Nemo, the musical. Um, well, and see, but again, that's a little different because that's like in a concert kind of style. Um, sure. Whereas like in a movie, if you're rating it as like for, you know, it does nothing to push the story ahead, really. Again, I mean, it's just but, it's just background music. But wouldn't me, you say some of the, muse, the muses are background music because they're not, they're not. But they directly address the story in a way that right, Collins yeah, does not. The muses, <laughs> the muses are definitely in, right. The muses are characters in the movie. Like if you were to try to say that the, the muses, the characters, the, the, the muses are not Phil Collins in this. Like they're in the story, yeah. they're in there, they're messing with like parts of the movie, just like, I mean, look at, uh, um, you won't say I'm in love. Like they're interacting with Meg. I like literally, yeah, literally my, my distinction between those two is that the muses are animated characters. They so, may be the narrators of the story, but they're participating in it in small ways and they're so directly then let me, addressing let's it. Let's go back a second. Correct. What about Circle of Life? That's not a character. That's Circle an over- of Life. You're you're correct, but Circle of Life just has that sort of like bam, and also it's a one it's a one time thing. It's yeah. setting it up, and it's better know? than so, these songs. So correct, it's better than all these songs <laughs> combined. <laughs> I mean, well, I here's, here's what I'll say. I feel like I feel like Circle of Life actually pertains to the movie, whereas these Phil Collins songs they could be about anything. They could be put into any movie to move forward any sort of scene. It doesn't really do anything for Tarzan specifically. 
The other problem with the Phil Collins songs is they are structured like pop songs as opposed Correct. to theatrical songs. The choruses uh-huh. repeat. Like, You'll Be In My Heart, and here's the other thing about You'll Be In My Heart. We have the whole song in our heads. It's so short in the movie. Glenn Close sings a verse, Phil Collins sings a verse. It's over. Um, the key change between the two is fucking weirdly handled, number one. Um, and like, besides that, you essentially just get You'll Be In My Heart, You'll Be In My Heart, from this day on now and forevermore. You'll be in my heart. It's just the same line yeah. over and it's over. A shitty, it it's, a shitty, it's a shitty pop song, yeah. I will, like, I, if we're going to move a Phil Collins song forward, this would probably be my top choice for cultural awareness of it. And Disney but, awareness. I mean, Disney Impact, this is the Tarzan song. Because at the end of the day, it's a Disney song showdown. Like, I'd be willing to put this in the chopping block. I'm, I'm well, not well, saying it has It sounds to be like all cut. five of the songs are going to be on the chopping block. Not trash think- in the camp. No, I mean, well, that's the thing. It's like, I, it's my favorite song. And I, that's the first one I would cut because there are no lyrics. It's all scat. I mean, honestly, I would cut all the Phil Collins songs because they're not Disney songs, in my opinion. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, again, I think if you're having a top 64 list without Tarzan in the Disney Renaissance, seems very, very problematic. Well, like Bella, Bella said, that could be a Phil Co- I mean, it could, Tarzan might as well be like ABBA. Or, or like Mamma Mia, like it's basically a right, Phil Collins yeah. powered musical that they tried to pull a story together I mean, from his album. I mean, we, like, we, we discussed Love from Robin Hood. That is not an actual song sung at, by the character. It's done in- Well, sure, in, but um, we didn't discuss Faye. Love. No, I know, I but we were in that conversation. Sure, well, and th- again, this is why I, I'm fighting very hard for Tarzan to have representation. Like, I'm- there are two of this. So what I have marked on here, just in terms of my score, there are two of the Phil Collins songs that I was like, I don't care what happens. These need to be cut straight out. The other two are at least known enough that I gave them a second glance because they're familiar melodies. They're known to be Tarzan songs, blah, blah, blah. But like they still, their score, this whole score for every song in this movie is lower than basically every other song in all the other Disney movies for me. Yep. All right. And that was done numerically. So that's clearly facts. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> facts are facts, America. Um, like I would put this one on the chopping block if we're feeling dicey about it, but this one is probably the most iconic one just culturally. So I would put it there. If, okay. if you're gonna push that hard for it, I'll do that for you. All right, then let me have to continue on. Son of Man, Phil Collins, performed by Collins. The scene features Tarzan throughout the years as he enters adulthood while facing the difficulties of fitting in with his gorilla, gorilla family. It is used in the opening credits of the sequel as well. No one has opinions on it. Because it's, it's not a Disney song. Here's it is a I'll Disney say. song. It is a Disney it's song, a, though. But it's a background song. There is nothing... There is nothing that the, the characters are not interacting with the song, you know? But that doesn't define a like Disney song in a Disney animated I'm, film, though. I'm just I'm saying, if we want to talk about film impact, this could be instrumental and have the same impact mm-hmm. as, Correct. as, Correct. as with the one. It does not need lyrics at all. And also, instrumentally, here's so here's where I'm going to come from, just the debate as to whether it's a proper song, blah, 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 blah. The, it has the most interesting melody of the Phil Collins songs, not that that's a high bar, <laughs> but it, <laughs> it has the most interesting melodic line, but the orchestration, I mean, orchestration, the instruments, the way he uses the instruments underneath, they don't hit rich chords. They don't back up the interesting melody. It sounds like an ABBA backing track and not nothing against ABBA, but it dates it. Um, and it's just not impressive to me. This could have been 
an epic song. Son of Man as a concept is cool. A montage where Tarzan comes into himself is cool. These are very Disney things. And then this song doesn't do the job of this already very Disney themed montage. I could not agree more. I agree as well. All right. Okay, then we are moving on to Strangers Like Me, written by Phil Collins, performed by Collins as Tarzan, as he becomes fascinated with Jane, Professor Porter, and Clayton. The song has been covered by Everlife. Uh, again, it, it this could be instrumental, and I wouldn't and I wouldn't notice a difference. Like, yeah, yeah, it's it's Agreed. more one of the things where like we talk about montage songs, and a, one or two montage songs, like one montage song in a movie, Zero to Hero, is a montage song, but it's great, and it's the only time they really do a montage song, and it's also narrated by characters directly addressing characters in the in the movie every song in Tarzan basically turns into a montage song. So by the time you get to this one, we've gotten kind of Tarzan's journey. And then we get this like whiplash head spin of like, he's been trying to fit in with the apes and then he sees one human and all of a sudden he's just full in on the, I don't know. It's just, it's a I weird. Mean, so is, the lyrics aren't commenting on Tarzan literally saying, I want to know, can you show me? I no, know that's what they're doing. But he makes that turn too quickly for me. This song is like abrupt. It doesn't even do proper montaging. I don't know. It doesn't do much for me. This is the other one that I had listed as a potential chopping block one, just because like people would know this one better than the others. But I don't care Again, much for it. Yeah, I, I, like with all the rest of, there's just, there's just, you can, when when you go through the list, especially this is the last one, you go through all of these songs and you think about how they affected the movie, the characters, and whatever. There's no interaction between the character and this song, other than like the words happen to go along with what's happening in the movie. Right, but, but, you know, but like, like Zero to Hero, it's the same exact thing. No, no. it is not. No, sure it is. But no, but no, based on the not. argument you're making, it's doing the same thing. It's just not a physical character seeing, sing the song. But Zero to Hero right. talked about Hercules. <laughs> right, exactly. It's, it's made for the movie. It doesn't look like you could have just taken this song and put it on any album and you would have no idea that I was talking about Tarzan. I mean, you said, I want to know, can you show me? Tarzan does not even, like, in this montage, is not even, like, what is this? Like, can you show me what this is? Sure like, he is. No <laughs> sure he is. He's, she's showing him all these things. She's got the projector with all these um, foreign things he has no idea about, that he's learning about. I do not know learning what Learning how to put with, clothes on. I have no idea what happened with Disney and Tarzan and why they had, like, Phil Collins do most of the music but they were well within their abilities. If they can make talking elephants and gorillas, they could have had Tarzan like sing Well, also, songs. isn't Tarzan the one that almost bankrupt Disney again? Because again, they use all that deep canvas animation style in this movie yeah. where he's like it's sliding visually, down the it's vines. Fantastic. Oh, it's a stunning but, animation movie. But it yeah, almost the bankrupt them again because it was a flop of a movie. Because it, it wasn't it, it, it wasn't really like a musical movie. It, it, it didn't, it, it's, they could have done it within the vein of traditional Disney. I don't know what boner they got with Phil Collins for it, but I just feel like having the artist, like this one artist do like four or five of the songs of the same movie, there's just no, there's, there's no, there's less depth to it. Okay. All right. I guess this is another one we're chopping. The I mean, there's one... a reason, I there's a reason why Tarzan is the last of the Renaissance movies is because well, I mean, there's no the way, but there's no way you can put Fantasia 2000 in the Renaissance either, because yeah. like, we're, it's not. There's no entries in uh, for the 21st century with that. But you, we, you all would have destroyed that one too. Probably. And, and the same yeah. with um, Fantasia, Fantasia, Atlantis. Is own, like 
Fantasia's the Beast, Atlantis. Atlantis doesn't even have songs. Sure, it has no song. It has like it, one. It has. It yeah. does. It's I mean, there. That, Atlantis. Atlantis is one of my favorite movies. Period. Oh, it's like, really out of good, Disney. but I wouldn't. But I, I love say Atlantis. That's a mus- a I wouldn't say that's right. a musical. Like, yeah, and I don't remember not. the song. <laughs> well, like, we're not talking about musical. We're talking about Disney songs. Fine. That's. I mean, that's like this is this is the other one I would have. I would potentially. This is my. This is to me the best of the Phil Collins songs. Just as a song. This one goes places. It swells more than the others. The others got like out of 10 below a five on their journey <laughs> score. This one at least broke five. Um, but like, it, I don't know. It, it, it's just a matter of when you're specifically talking Disney songs, there's a purpose to Disney songs of drawing you into a story and engaging you with it emotionally. And like, it does not do it to the degree that any of the other songs do for me. That's the issue I have. I mean- if you have a Disney compilation album, are there songs from Tarzan on it? There are, because oh, they are one. still Disney songs. One. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, they're Disney songs. So I think the argument of it has to be in musical moment is not necessarily the strongest argument for this podcast. There's a, there's also, there, there will also be other Disney songs from other movies that are technically songs. Like if you get, I mean, Disney has a ton of compilation albums sure. and I got deep into volume eight of them when I was yeah. a child. And by the time I was on volume eight, I was like, wow, I really don't care about most of these songs. So they're still songs. Doesn't mean they're great. Sure. Right, exactly. And finally, I just, we have, I just yeah. Well, we have Trash in the Camp written by Phil Collins, performed by Rosie O'Donnell as Turk. Turk, Tantor and the other gorillas are intrigued by the items at the camp and trash it. Soundtrack features a version of the song with Phil Collins and NSYNC. I, this is, for me, this is the only Disney song in this movie because you have the characters interacting, doing, you know, doing something, you know, out of the ordinary and put to music. This is, for me, this is the, this is the only, like, true Disney song of the movie. No, I think it, you're, you're like saying it's more of a musical song. It's not, it's, they're all Disney songs. This is a musical moment. Well, I I mean, this is my opinion, though. Like the Phil Collins songs, in my opinion, I wouldn't rate them as Disney songs in the way that I determine what a Disney song is. That's fair. Um, But again, that's just for me. Whereas this is this is the song of the movie where it's just like, oh, Disney did make this movie. Great. (laughs) Yeah. Um, This is the one that is present. This song is present in the movie. Yes. It becomes a whole sequence in and of itself where the song is the characters doing the song. It's a part of the world. Um, The the conceit of a Disney world to me, especially in a Disney musical world or in this like era of Disney was that the characters were bringing the music and the songs into the world. The Phil Mm -hmm. Collins songs never come into the world. This one does. So well, a little bit in the beginning with Kala, like the very beginning where she sings for right. like 20 seconds and then it goes into the song. That's probably the closest before this, but this is like a full moment in the movie. They are bringing, the characters are bringing the music. And this is a creative sequence. I appreciated this sequence. When I was little, this was my oh, favorite song so from the cute. movie by far. Mm-hmm. And then and there's so many little Easter eggs in it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it, is very, um, it is very Jungle Book. Um, like that is the most... Yeah. That's like what I get from it yes. when I, while I was watching it. Absolutely. Um, I just, I agree with Michael that there's no words to it though, and that kind of turns me off. But the, I think it is the most fun in the movie. If that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish, because we had this discussion over text, Mike. I the 
it is scat, which is fine and is a form of music. And there's a fun choice with jazz because then they pick up the phonograph horn and do like some jazz trumpet kind of stuff. Right. And it's cute yeah. and creative in those ways. I wish to God that they would have changed up the scat words verse to verse. It's just the same line repeated over and over. And that's disappointing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it is a very creative song. Like this is, this is the one I gave the highest score to out of Tarzan, whatever that does for it. Right, because if we're going to put the Phil Collins songs on his Disney songs, this definitely gets the highest score for me, too. Yeah. And it would be my first chop. Really? Last yep. for me. I thought you wanted this. I mean, no, I want to talk about it. I, again, I'm, I'm also going after the Disney legacy, and this is not a Disney legacy song compared to You'll Be My Heart or some of the other songs from this movie. Sure. I mean, for me, this isn't going to win. No, it's not gonna be. <laughs> I mean, let's that just be real. Like, no song from Tarzan <laughs> is gonna like get into like. I don't. I don't know. I don't, I don't. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think "You'll Be My Heart" has so much staying power to a lot of people. I mean, when I did my right, uh, Facebook post, right. it was listed. People said that is a song that needs to be included. And Michael, course, I think I, it's yes. the only song that deserves to stay out of this entire movie. So I agree, honestly. Right, and that's again, the, yes, it does have the staying power. It does have the thing, but again, it's when you're singing it, like you can put it on your iPod or whatever and put it in, does it automatically make you think of the movie? Like if you just heard it randomly yeah. out, is that you're gonna think Tarzan or someone who has never, who has like, you know, not yeah. deep Disney roots. Okay, all right. I mean, so here's I, I the thing. It comes, it comes across as a pop song to me that can be sung to any, any person and doesn't have an, a uniqueness about that reminds me of, of Tarzan specifically, you know? Yeah. I'll say, like, I have a willingness in me to put a Tarzan song through. It is one of these two that we're discussing right now, if it's going to be one. Uh, my reason for trashing the camp would be that it is the most creative song, the most fun, and the most Disney-esque of the songs that actually takes place in the world. However, it isn't remembered. It's not culturally relevant the way You'll Be In My Heart is, and that's the argument for You'll Be In My Heart. I don't think Tarzan has a good enough... I, the score of Tarzan, and this is what I said to Mike yesterday, I rewatched it. The score is gorgeous. Why didn't oh, they yeah, have no him write saying, the songs? No one is No one is saying that the, the score, score is, is bad, stunning. Just in comparison to other things that are Disney. You know? well, I, I, mean, I mean the score as in like orchestrations of the background music throughout the movie. It's a completely different, the songs don't even fit in because Phil Collins wrote them. Somebody else wrote the score. Right. And it's like, why didn't they, I don't know. It feels incongruous and it's weird. For me, You'll Be In My Heart is more Disney than Hellfire. That's an interesting claim. No, because I would say that I would say, especially when you're talking about the Disney Renaissance, because it was all written basically by Alan Menken, Alan Menken almost like categorically like defines what a Disney Renaissance movie is. That's real. So it's like, I mean, if you're, I would say that because Alan Menken wrote the music to Hunchback, that makes Hunchback a better Disney Renaissance film than Tarzan period. I'm not talking about film. I'm talking about singular I would songs. also say that a big part of the Disney Renaissance is animation sequences that accompany songs like I talked about. The sure. only animation sequence for You'll Be In My Heart is Kala sitting in a tree with Tarzan in her arms singing. Oh, yeah. Hellfire has the, we all remember the red robes. Like it's still, there are memorable parts of this, you know? So that's my argument there. 
All right. Well, I mean, we are now in a place where we have to chop ten songs. So we had next the um, nine, right? Um, be, because this was yeah, the I'm longest. Gonna call it's, it's ten. Because we had an extra um, uh, entry for a pitch. I right. thought we were only cutting eight to we have, start. We have to cut a total of 25 songs from oh. all three lists. And because this is the that. longest one, we're going to cut nine. All right, next one. So, um, someone wants to keep count for me. These we are have the songs. six so far. Well, uh, the songs that are either cut or chopping block, we have oh, okay. Poor Unfortunate Souls, Gaston. Uh -huh. Sorry, ma'am. Um, one Jump Ahead. Be Prepared. Can you feel the love tonight? Mine, mine, mine. Topsy turvy. The gospel truth. Honor to us all. A girl worth fighting for. Two worlds. You'll be in my heart. Son of man. Trash in the camp. Strangers like me. Okay, that's 15. So it sounds like y'all would cut Tarzan immediately, and I'm not here for that at all. I would cut all the Phil Collins songs. Yeah. I would, I would keep you'll, keep, be, I gonna, would keep you'll yes. be in my heart over trash in the I, camp. I would. I agree with Andrew. I would keep you'll be in my heart over trash in the camp. Yes, I agree with that too. All right. Sports, so you'll be in my heart. Power. Just staying. So now we have 14 songs. So then um, Two Worlds is gone. Son of Man is gone. Trash in the camp is gone. Streams Like Me is gone. I think, um, I think Mine, Mine, Mine and Topsy Turvy were ones that we were all going to. They yeah, were those yep. were cut. Yep. In terms of in terms of what we have actually cut right now, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight cut so far. So we need to cut two more. Mm. Well, didn't we all we all kind of agree that one jump ahead was like meh? Yeah, I, I, I defended it a little bit, but I will let it go in favor of some of these other songs. Yeah, oh, I totally. agree. I agree. One jump ahead can be gone. Okay. So we need one more. Out, I of, mean, out of I would, Gaston, Poor Unfortunate Souls, Be Prepared, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? Oh, Can I, You Feel the Love Tonight? What I would about, say Gaston. What, did we already count A Girl Worth Fighting For and Honor to Us All? Those, those, are, are, those are like okay. cuts, yeah. Okay. Because yeah. um, anything that we all collectively said just cut immediately, I marked with like a straight up cut. Okay. Thing. Um, the reason I would, I would keep Gaston over Can You Feel the Love Tonight? Because again, Gaston is in the movie, the characters are bringing the music, there's, it's a fun song. Can You Feel the Love Tonight is kind of like, okay, we get it, you know, you're, you're gonna fuck. Um, but I mean, Gaston if, but it's Quinn, has if, like personality. Can You Feel the Love Tonight is a possible top 10 Disney song. I don't, I feel like the validity of this though. list would be okay without that song. Why? Because it is so iconic in the Disney world. But there are so many more songs. There, I would I would argue that Circle of Life is way more iconic than Can You Feel a Love Tonight. I think there are people that would refute you on that, though. Yeah. Honestly, I agree with you, but I think there are people that would refute you. Well, they're mm -hmm. dumb. <laughs> <laughs> but again, I will say that this this is a macrocosm. Is a, this a, is like a big song. version of our debate between You'll Be in My Heart versus Trash in the Camp. I think one of these songs is more fun. I think one of these songs has a larger iconography in the Disney canon. Yeah, and right. again, I don't... They're, they're there for a reason. There's no way in hell I can imagine Can You Feel the Love Tonight being cut over Be Prepared. Oh, no. I can. 
<laughs> I can, yeah. Like, yeah, I think be prepared to be there before I can feel the love tonight. A hundred percent. Yeah, I think like if we're if you're so determined to keep can you feel the love tonight, then it sounds like the discussion comes down to guest on versus be prepared, and that's easy for me. Be prepared is more interesting. Correct. Um so then so then for me essentially guest on versus can you feel the love tonight is what it comes down to. I so here's here's how the last podcast ended. <laughs> it was a split vote between Udalali and Love for the final spot. Oh, you hate we that. We <laughs> are going to we are going we are going to after the podcast comes out put it out to the audience to decide which song gets it. Okay. Of these we two, can do that, but we can make one final vote to decide if we want to cut Gaston or can you feel the love tonight um, to see if it's a majority or if it's going to be a split. Um, let the audience decide for us. Okay. Well, I mean, should, we, should we, we just we, state I, votes right now to see if we're actually yeah, split? Yeah. Yeah. And that means that gospel truth gets in, right? No, yeah. gospel truth, I believe, was... Would we keep that in? It was, it was on the shopping block. It's technically there. I, I wouldn't oh, cut it. Oh, then I would these. cut that immediately. That would be my first, my first cut. <laughs> of, of the you did this to yourself, Venus. <laughs> yeah. I think, but I think Gospel He's Truth the one is better than... put the I, list together. It's true. <laughs> I think Gospel Truth is better than Gaston and Can You Feel the Love Tonight, but... I enjoy it much more. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because here's the thing. If we're going to vote between three, there's going to be a result, Mike. There's going to be a clear result. The only way you're going to get a split vote and leave it to the audience. If you're concerned about keeping Can You Feel the Love Tonight, you probably need to let Gospel Truth stay. Right. I mean, and the like, sure, if, if based on our panel, if that's what it wants to be, the listeners are not going to be happy. They um, can get over it. Sure. <laughs> this is the controversial Disney Ultimate song. I know, show I right? know and, and I will let the listeners know all of your handles and where they can come at you. <laughs> I don't come get on me, social bro. media. <laughs> um, not real. Yeah, I, I just don't, there's no way I see a world where Can You Feel the Love Tonight is not in the top 64. I see the arguments for both. I understand yeah. the arguments for both. And yeah. I, 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 it's, like it, really, honestly, it comes down to just personal preference at this point. It doesn't, yeah. it's like I if mean, I'm voting, it's for the song that I like better and why I like it better. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, for, again, I go back to longevity, what is won awards. Um, well, so just this, let's not say this is a final vote, but what if we voted right now? What would everybody just say? No discussion, just say the name of the song well, you would cut. I mean, do we want to go back? I mean, there are more. Oh, yeah, I, I mean, out? we can go back if there are other things you want to cut. I, I, I fear that um, there isn't going to be anything anyone else would want to cut um, that, would, that are as adamant as these. Um, I would be willing to cut I Just Can't Wait to Be King. Uh, I mean. No. If well, you Mike's going to fight every cut, then I don't know. Yeah. I mean, if, <laughs> if you want to put in another, like, if you want to substitute it for another Lion King song, I would rather have... That would be my choice, too. If yeah, you're doing I would that. swap out Just Can't Wait to Be King for Can You Feel the Love Tonight, if that's where you're, you're at. I mean, because I think Gospel Truth definitely should be in there. Um, and I, think I, would, so this is, I, will, I will say this. I like Gaston better than Can You Feel the Love Tonight, but I think Can You Feel the Love Tonight is definitely more iconic in the Disney discography. I will say that. So based on that, I would probably vote for Can You Feel the Love Tonight to stay over Gaston. I think I also would. 
you would also vote for Gaston over Can You Feel the Love Tonight? Is that what? Yeah. yeah but, that's where I would be too. Yeah. No, 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 no. I would vote no, for Can You Feel the Love Tonight uh, over Gaston. Sorry. Uh, over, Gas over Gaston. If we're gonna but now that we've brought up I Just Can't Wait to Be King, there is a part of me that's in a debate there now. <laughs> I just, I mean, I personally, I know it's not the majority here. I just would find it insane that Lion King would have less entries than Hunchback. It wouldn't. It would have the same number. We're only cutting one song from Lion King, no matter what we do. There will be four still. Right. And Hunchback will have four. Yeah. And Hunchback's score deserves four, and Lion King deserves four. That's fine. In my book. So yeah, so I guess we're voting to cut gas on then. Is that what we're? What's I'm good with that. Again? I'm yes. I will. Ultimately, you, yeah. I'm. I'm and good that's with Gaston that too, over Gaston over Gospel Truth. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, wait, no, wait. Gaston. Gaston cut. Cut, cut oh, over yeah, Gospel Gaston, Truth. Yes, yes absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> I was okay. just like, wait a second. Where did that come from? So again, let's just make sure I have all this correct. Um, All right, because I know this is okay, so we're cutting Gaston. Someone count for me. Uh, one jump ahead. Mine, mine, mine. Uh -huh. Topsy turvy. Okay. Honor to us all. Uh -huh. Girl worth fighting for. Uh -huh. Two worlds. Uh -huh. Son of man. Trash mm -hmm. in the camp, strangers mm -hmm. like me. That's 10. That's our 10. We did it. All right. We've done it. Well Listeners. pitched, Venus. You got it in. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> I mean, and that's why I offered everyone a single pitch. Um, I was going to pitch something there, but something there would not have stayed in over some of these. No way in hell it would have. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> um, that was a fun little debate and listen you hated that you i mean of course i hated it it's the first time y'all got to see me get heated um <laughs> it, but that's the that's the fun of these kinds of things and that's yeah, kind of why no, i want to continue so cool. doing this for the podcast because life is a it's debate. great because disney is so wide-reaching and everyone has their own personal experience with it so you bring right. like any person that comes into a discussion about Disney has a different perspective from everybody right. else. I was going to say that it's really cool hearing why people like various songs over other songs for all different types of reasons. It was really fascinating. I loved it. Well, where can we find y'all on social media? Um, you can find me at Bella Noche NYC on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and on my website, bellanochenyc.com. And Venmo, if they feel like throwing you some doughs. Oh, sure. Bellanoche NYC, PayPal, Cash App, and Venmo. There you go. Uh, you can find me at Venus Fahala on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, I ha only have my legal name on, <laughs> on Venmo. So don't send money. Yeah, don't send. Uh, my Cash App is the dollar sign WHME. There you go. There you go. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Andrew Orsi. I don't really use my Instagram, but I'm also there under that. Um, and if you are interested in the acapella music I talked about that I do, I'm in a group called Black to Gold. Um, so their handle is Black to Gold Music on Instagram. That's all words. Um, and then also on YouTube, we have it's just Black to Gold is the name of the channel. Um, nice. And we are putting out a bunch of quarantine videos, and they're pretty good. <laughs> and because it's my podcast and I can plug my own shit, 
Elation Disney Edition. It's a uh, digital drag dance party. August 14th, 6 p.m., Zoom. Venmo $6 to Harry Grande. Portion of the cover will go to the Third Wave Fund. And the night will feature a performance by Bella Noche. Yeah. I mean, do we, does Bella know what she's doing yet? Do I know yet? You don't know. I know. <laughs> is it from Little Mermaid? Yeah. Of course it is. Um, I feel yeah. like, because if I'm going to be part of the cast, it's like, if I'm part of it, no one else is going to do Little Mermaid, so I might as well do it. Listen, there was one queen who wanted to do um, Harmony. Oh, from the from the TV show? Yeah. Oh my god, I love it. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I think Bella's covered the Little Mermaid for us. Yes. If I'm in, if it's Disney, like, unless I specifically say otherwise, yeah, I'm gonna do that. Yeah. Well, I hope everyone will join us for that. This was fun. Um, I'm very excited to hear responses. Um, again, listen, my podcast, I'm not a dictator. I let things happen. Otherwise, we would have had more Tarzan entries. Um, <laughs> but, God forbid. Thank um, God you were here. <laughs> but again, this is why we're doing this podcast like this. We're getting different perspectives. Because if I had the same panel for all three of them, it, it just wouldn't feel the same. So having the amount of voices we have give our perspective and talk about things that we love that's what's exciting and i'm excited to hear how the listeners feel and if you have yeah. any hate send it to the to my guests thanks for, <laughs> i mean but like literally thanks for having us mike of course thank thank you, you so much you yeah, organizing this like so, so much yeah the work of putting the list together was amazing um this idea is amazing it's super fun and like none of it happens without you so thanks for letting us be a part of it well thanks for being yeah. here thank you so much the biggest thanks to Andrew, Bella, and Venus for coming on. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, and leave us a review while you're there. If you have any questions or comments, drop me a line at theaterthenow.com via our question link. Until next time, I'm Michael Block, and that was Block Talk. Block Talk.